quality merino sheepskin, which is naturally moisture-wicking, temperature-regulating, and antimicrobial, with supportive memory foam midsoles in order to make slippers that feel better and wear better for longer. If you don't want to wait another day to slip it in something way more comfortable, get the best, highest quality sheepskin slippers on the market at overland.com slash kindoffunny. You'll get free shipping and free returns, and I recommend you go today because these slippers are so beloved that they've been known to sell out and slip off the shelves. Uh, that's overland.com slash kindoffunny, overland.com slash kindoffunny. Next up, shout out to Babbel. Learning a new language can feel intimidating. I worried about the level of difficulty, the time commitment, and you know what? You're having to hear my accent out loud. Don't like any of that. But thanks to Babbel, the number one selling language learning app, the whole process can be addictively fun, fast, and easy. Greg Miller's been using this, and it's helped him to learn to communicate with Jen and her family, which is more important than ever now that they have a new member of their family uh, joining them. So this is, this is the whole thing now. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use code MORNING. That's B-A-B-B-E-L with the code MORNING, Babel, language for life. And finally, shout out to Raycon. Tis the season of drowning in holiday gifts, guys. You can shop at 10 different places, or you can start your shopping at Raycon and get a gift everyone will use, some Raycon wireless earbuds. Raycons give you great audio quality wherever you go, whether you use them to pump up, wind down, to work, or work out. And they start at half the price of other premium audio brands. Plus, their latest model has three new sound profiles, pure, balance, and bass modes. Their audio quality is crisp, whether you're listening to EDM or a podcast. Podcast. One of my really good friends, Vincent. I was just hanging out with him last weekend, and he's been telling me he uses the Raycons to work out with, and that boy's getting swole. So, hey, that's all I'm saying. The holidays are coming up faster than you think. Now is the time to knock out that gift list and avoid the last-minute shipping scramble, especially because right now you guys can get 15% off site-wide with the code HOLIDAY at buyraycon.com slash kindoffunny. Go to buyraycon.com slash kindoffunny and use the code HOLIDAY to to get 15% off your entire Raycon order. Buyraycon.com slash kindoffunny. Nick? Well, actually, yeah. I do have to peace out um, oh. from this podcast, but I do want to leave you with my ranking because I know that's the thing we've, we've been You're doing. You're right. You're right. Go for it, Bless. Uh, let me pull it up here. I, actually, I had to write it down for this one since there's a lot of these movies now. Um, so sitting at my number one, I got Spider-Man Homecoming. Below that, number two, Spider-Man 2, Tobey Maguire. Number three, Spider-Man 1. Tobey Maguire. Number four, Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, number five is The Amazing Spider-Man. Number six is Spider-Man 3. And then number seven is The Amazing Spider-Man 2. That's my ranking. Carboni, what is yours? My ranking is Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man. Spider-Man Homecoming. The Amazing Spider-Man 2. The Amazing Spider-Man, Spider-Man 3. Wow. Here's the one, the one thing I love more than anything else is people can be mad. Oh, your list is bad. Oh, yeah, you guys are crazy, whatever. Everyone has a different fucking list for these goddamn yeah. movies. Everyone yeah. is wrong. And everyone is right because that's how this works here. Am I right, Nick? 
You're 100% right, Tim, except Thank you. our bony list is garbage. Uh, ladies Bye, Bless. See you later. Bye, guys. Bless. But you know what? But you know what, Nick, as my as as a spider boy, now that we're now that we've been, now that we've been on this long spider road together, you totally understand me and why that's my 100%. list. 100%. I'm, I'm joking, of course. I'm, yeah, of course. I'm, you know, your list is your opinion, but everyone's is different, and that's the thing. You have different t- touchstones for these different things, and then, you know, with you and Blessing kind of, you guys put the original trilogy way higher than I would in this stuff, but it's yeah. hard for me to look past the flaws of it and see the nostalgia and sort of the classic nature of it. Um, I just also, I'm just a sucker for the dynamic between the current the current Spider-Man and, like, the mentor characters. I love all that stuff, so. Yeah. I think it's just different. different are, you looking, are you looking for a good dad, Nick? I'm always looking. Well, Dad, <laughs> no, Daddy. God damn it, hey. Nick. Ladies and gentlemen, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Tim, you take mm-hmm. care of the music. I'll take care of the music. We start in uh, Extenco. Is that how you say? It? I Mexico. And I've never actually said yeah. the name of that town before. There you go. And a cool. Audi Even your accent button. was on. Thank you. Thank you. It sounded horrible coming out. It sounded painful coming out of my mouth. So I apologize. No, perfect. No notes. Uh, we have an Audi that pulls up, and Maria, Helen, Nick Fury are in it. And, man, you know what's funny? They do a great job in this movie because they're just a little off. And you're like, man, they really – like, the first time I watched this, I was like, God, they just really didn't care to be in this movie that much. Maybe, maybe like, yeah. Nick Fury was just kind of – or Samuel L. Jackson and, and uh, Colby Smulders were just, like, phoning it in the entire time. Ooh, the joke is on me. Of course, they pull up – Real quick, though, real quick, I will say – and this isn't even a criticism. It's kind of just like, uh, good for you, MCU. What a weird call to have scrolls be in Spider-Man Homecoming or Far From Home, like in the Spider-Man series. Like, it's just is such a like, yo, we're we're making a universe here and we're we're gonna go for it. I just would have never expected it. Like, yeah. what I want to start doing one day is I want to start a podcast where we just start theorizing about future MCU movies, and I want to have a conversation about who do we like. What cameos will we get? What will the post-credits be teasing? All that stuff. And what's going to be the one what-the-fuck surprise no one saw coming? It would definitely be scrolls in this movie. Yeah. But I think, I think that's sort of the thing, though, that we, that we saw with Homecoming is, wow, they really are using maybe the popularity and the fact that even if you're not an MCU fan, maybe it's just Spider-Man is so worldwide recognizable that using Spider-Man as this sort of, like, bridge material for the MCU is kind of brilliant. And and you're right, Nick. They, Colby Smulders in particular, Colby Smulders in particular in this film crushes it because Maria's just a little more uh, pissed, off. pissed off. Like, Maria's always businessy, but she's right. just a little more pissed off, and you're like, maybe it's, maybe it's just the blip in the five years or whatever, but she's... She would have shown – I remember watching this movie for the first time and being – Maria Hill would show a little more sympathy towards Peter Parker, the teenager who has to right. deal with this. This is interesting. Uh, of course, the entire town has been destroyed. Who should we see enter but Mysterio? And he says, you don't want any part of this as Great a big – uh, Earth elemental pops up, and he shoots some green line at it, and we cut. That's him. <laughs> You're too young to understand the significance of this song. So I, I honestly, gonna, I am in context. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it out for you right now. Okay. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you, okay. baby boy. Go ahead. There was a hit movie yeah. called The Bodyguard, starring Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. Yeah. And at the end of it, it is, you know, he's the bodyguard for her. She's this like 
Whitney Houston level uh, star in the movie who's being uh, has a stalker and he's got to figure out he's a bodyguard. They of course fall in love because they're two of the hottest human beings on this planet. But at the end of it, he has to leave her because he has to go on to be someone else's bodyguard. He's he's done being her bodyguard. But they don't. They love each other, and she mm-hmm. takes off in her private jet as they think they're never going to see each other again. As this song kicks off, and the jet starts going, and he's watching his arms in a sling because he's been shot. But he saved her life, and his job's done, and he's moving on to the next one. But he doesn't want her to leave, but he can't vocalize that because he is the bodyguard, and he has to be professional. And, of course, right as and I, yeah, the, the plane just stops, and the, run, the, the, the ladder drops, and she runs to him, and she just kisses him, and the camera just revolves around them. And it is the best moment ever put on cinema. Last week I said, is there a better ending than The Matrix 1? And I, I am beside myself. I forgot about the ending of The Bodyguard. <laughs> now, and what's, and then Dennis Hopper comes and he's got an eye patch and they're all on jet skis. Am I thinking of the right one? That is actually the sequel to Bodyguard called Waterworld, where Kevin Costner's character grows the guilt. Water, water guard. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, but before we move on, real quick, just uh, the stereo entrance. I think is fantastic. It is such a great way to introduce the character. And like again, now we've seen this movie, and before we saw the movie, we just saw the trailers, and the trailers kind of left us being a little confused about what's going on. But it wasn't until we watched the movie that we realized they're trying to play Mysterio as a good guy. And mm-hmm. I think that that was a very cool call. And I think they they set it up really well. His theme is fucking awesome, and just really good job across the board with this stuff. Can I can I ask you a question, guys? Now mm-hmm. we we um I remember watching this trailer, and I remember I was sitting I was sitting at the office. Um, uh, we were it was a it was a it was a shoot day for Star Wars show, and we were all sitting and we watched the trailer together. And I remember leaning back and being like, a water guy, a fire guy. Okay, so that's all Mysterio. This is all Mysterio, obviously. And everybody was freaking out about multiverse, and I was like, he's not from another universe. That's Mysterio. He's lying. And that's what I'm talking about with the multi-stage fake-out of a Marvel multiverse. When you first saw this trailer, did you believe this was introducing the multiverse to, the, to Marvel in any way? Well, I think it was introducing the idea of a multiverse, mm-hmm. not the actual multiverse, which is why I give it credit. Yeah, yeah. technically, it was Doctor Strange. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. But but I yeah. but yeah. the idea of it, I think is I think it's cool because because obviously Peter's like, wait a minute, you're saying there's multiverse? I love that whole back and forth, and I think it's just kind of prepping the audience for what's yeah. to come. For sure. In, yeah. in close up magic, they call that priming. You're priming your audience to give you the answer oh, that you want. I love your so much. Forks. Your <laughs> <laughs> if if we mention a multiverse now in three movies, we can introduce it, and people will be like, multiverse. Mm. We get a great. Whoever picked the font for this nailed it, right? It's Comic Sans. It's Comic Sans. It's in memoriam. It's all over case. And we get this great uh, in memoriam video with all the people we've lost, including Tony, uh, Captain America, Black Widow, and Vision, who we can't forget we lost in this as well. Um, and Betty catches everyone else up on, on all the events that happened after Endgame. Endgame. Everyone came back. Uh, that was blitzed. They're the same age. So Betty, Jason, Peter, Ned, they're all still in high school. It's kind of coincidental that all of them get to be in high school again together, but whatever. I don't care. And then Jason freaks out. Is like, does anyone have a plan? And we cut over to Peter, who has a plan. But it's not the plan to save the world, of course. It's the plan to tell MJ how he feels about her. Here's how it's going to go. He's going to sit next to her on a plane, and he got a shared headphone jack. And I'm not going to lie, Tim. <laughs> the mm-hmm. power of the shared headphone jack mm-hmm. is not 
to be uh, discounted, okay? That is a very, very powerful thing that can bring you close together. I, the first flight I went out with my wife was like, I got a shared headphone jack, and she said, no, thank you. Yeah, uh, make you work for it. Watch, no, I don't watch that. I don't watch that garbage movie. You watch your own movie. I'm gonna sleep here. Uh, and then I was like, "Well, you're gonna sleep, but you're in the island." She's like, "I don't care." Power. Let me tell you something. Power you're movie. on a, you're on a plane, or even you're on a subway with a fr- like with a friend after last call, and you you know you're riding home on that train home, and you're sharing it, and you're like tired, and you're falling asleep, and you're like, li- "Please, the shared headphone jack is amazing." But mm-hmm. this is also a very teenage plan. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, he wants to go and he wants to when, when they're in Italy, they're all about the glass. And Venice is going to buy her a black Dahlia uh, necklace. And, and then when Ned goes, why? He goes because she likes the murders. Uh, and then uh, he's going to tell her so how on he brand for her character. It is so so Who the good. Fuck is talking. And then MJ <laughs> comes G- up. Gia, Gia Harris. <laughs> her last dog she had before Moose uh, was a black lab, and she got to name it, and she named it Black Dahlia mm-hmm. because of the murders. I had I crazy I had a partner where we had two leopard geckos. One was Charles Manson and one was Jeffrey Dahmer. And Charles Manson <laughs> ate Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. And I was like, amazing. Whoa, that's justice. What a um, That's crazy. I, I wanna point out they are showing us that Peter Parker is thoughtful. Because mm-hmm. Peter Parker in five fucking movies before Tom Holland didn't really think much about why he was getting a ring for somebody or why he was going to date the, especially Tobey Maguire. Tobes didn't think about anything. Tobes oh. was just like, I need to be there because woman who is object is there. Well, it's mm-hmm. also it's also totally adorable because obviously like he could just tell her how he feels, but he feels he needs to go through all these things because he's insecure about it and he's putting it off for as long as he wants. And he's sixteen and it's got to be the perfect yeah. moment because everything is a big deal. Perfect moment, right? Exactly. All you, yeah. Uh, of course, MJ comes up and totally they uh, ruins the moment for them or actually just derails them. Um, and Ned says, it doesn't matter. We cut over to Aunt May giving a speech at a charity event for all the people who have been displaced by the blip. Uh, she has a banger of a story here, which is like, I came back in my old apartment, and uh, the old the old man thought I was a ghost, and the old woman thought I was his mistress or something like that. So uh, good. And I love that Peter's just there in the Iron Man suit. And I'll Hello, with, awkward. I'll disagree with Tim a little bit on this, where it's like, you know, I just, I love that they're like, we're not going to waste time having drama that doesn't need to be there. Aunt May's over it. All the shit yeah. happens. Peter, Peter you know, has helped them come back and beat Thanos. He's fine. He's Spider-Man. He's going to be okay. But she's also, like, to Aunt May's credit, she's making the best of this, right? She's doing the rounds. So she's going a little bit of a celebrity here. Yeah. Uh, like, both like clear, too. A fun note is, like, she's at Feast, which is um, yes. a, a place that is heavily featured in the Spider-Man 2018 video game. And we see a little bit of it in the upcoming movie as well. Um, I also want to say that I love that uh, – Spider-Man has no stage presence. Yeah. Which hilarious. is so hilarious. Which, which May calls him out on. She's like, do you think I was yeah. a little stiff? He's like, a little stiff, I think. She's like, no, you weren't stiff. She goes, you were a little. You were a little. So he's like, yeah, yeah, I felt that. Yeah, I felt, I felt it, too. Love it. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Their relationship, again, just fucking killer. Uh, and then, of course, Happy comes in with one of those comic big checks uh, from uh, Pepper, who couldn't be there, unfortunately, but she wants to donate to the cause. And then he kind of, like, uh, flirts a little bit with uh, with Aunt May. And Peter, uh, when Aunt May's like, okay, I gotta go back on stage, Peter turns around to him and says, what just happened there? <laughs> Dude. The, the Happy and May thing is so good, and it sets... I mean, there are a couple things that set a tone, right? Like, Endgame sets the tone for, like, 
Pierce survived something, and he and Happy survived something together, and they have this shared loss. Whereas, like, in the first movie, you're almost like, fucking ease up, Happy. He's fucking 16 years old, you know? Totally. Uh, and so between the Endgame stuff and the Aunt May stuff, it's just lovely. John Favreau also just plays a sweetheart so wonderfully mm-hmm. that it's nice to watch him play a sweetheart, you know? And so I love here. this relationship. Yeah, where he goes, where he, he deflects completely by saying that Nick Fury is going to call him. And then, of course, Peter doesn't want to talk to Nick Fury, but his phone starts ringing, and he says, answer the phone. And Peter says, why don't you answer the phone? And happy under his breath goes, because I'm scared. And it's a really, really banger of a delivery by John Favreau. And Amazing. Character. Yeah. Uh, Peter, of course, tells him, he's like, listen, I'll answer. I will answer as soon as I can. And then as he leaves, of course, he whispers to himself, after I come back from my trip, I'll answer. Because all he wants to do is go on this dang trip. Then he heads out to be interviewed uh, and immediately gets super overwhelmed because everyone puts the expectations on his shoulders that he is the new Tony Stark and the leader of the Avengers, and he's not ready for that yet. So he Now, this is where, after, after during the first movie, when I was like, too much Tony Stark. I don't like this. This is where I'm like, they're paying this off. They're paying off this thing that I didn't really like, and they're paying it off really well, and they're making it work for the character, and it really makes me 180 about this whole thing. And, and it's interesting because there's, like, there's clearly a void left in Peter, right? He doesn't – Tony Stark meant something to him, and now he can't – he doesn't know how to fill it, and he doesn't know if he's supposed to be the one that's supposed to step up or not. Um, but – he was like, at this point, he's not stepping up. He's dodging all of Nick Fury's calls. He keeps calling him. But you know what he doesn't dodge, Carboni? And May's flying banana. And May. I'll tell you what. You want to talk about them nailing the dynamic between these two? I love that Marissa Tomei can skate the line between, uh, like, the, his aunt and someone who's kind of messing with him a little bit. Because she yeah. goes, I thought you were supposed to have that thing that would let you know when something's coming. What, what do we call it? The Peter Tingle? The Peter Tingle. The running gag of the Peter Tingle the Peter is Tingle. so okay. good. And you're and you're right. Like, we saw this in the first movie a little bit. But this is, now that there are no secrets between them, this is even better. She's the cool aunt. She wasn't supposed to be his parent. So mm-hmm. she does still want to be his friend. And this is just their dynamic is so good. You you remember, hey, Tim, you remember in Ultimate Spider-Man when, like, May finds out, and for a little while it's just, like, shit is cool, and you're like, why couldn't it always be like this? Yeah. And the MCU gives us that. It's like, no, it's always going to be like this. They're cool. It's chill. Tim, what's your take on the Peter Tingle? <laughs> on the what? The Peter Tingle. Oh, it's 10 out of 10. Are you kidding me? It's the best thing ever, right? Yeah. Wait, was there contention to that? No, no, no. I just wanted to hear you. Oh, okay, good. Oh, my God. No, I love it. I said Peter Tingle. Oh, man, no. It's so great. I mean, like, that is such a fun play on viewer expectations. Like, we all know what we're getting going into this. Again, seventh movie in the Spider-Man live-action franchise, whatever you want to call that. And this is this is fun. We know what the Spider-Sense is, but, like, this is a fun twist on it that you'd expect from this iteration of that May. And especially Uh, because it's it's a power that, like, Every time it comes up in other movies or sometimes, like, an animated series and stuff or even video games, you're just like, explain to me what a spider sense is because this is crazy. Sometimes it does this. Sometimes it does this. But in this movie, as a literal metaphor for just trusting yourself – Fuck, they pull off spider sense. Right. Yeah, you know. they they do. And this is one of those things that happens rarely for me in movies, but I feel like the last couple Spider-Man movies have had some moment where I'm not sure if I love how they did it or if I hate how they did it. But the the spider sense in this 
the way that they obviously set it up here, and then later we get him kind of, like, pushing through. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I think that they did a great job or if it's just, like, oh, I wish they kind of handled it better. I think it's I somewhere think in between. I think the actual effect is serviceable, um, but I do love that, they're, that again, they, they kind of slide this in as a joke, the Peter Tingle, right? But what this is is actually a really smart way to set up the fact that this is going to be the big payoff of him believing himself and, and trusting his spider sense in the end. And I just that's what I love about this team that put this together. It's like you're getting yeah. comedy, you're getting these these moments that you don't you just kind of rush by because they're hilarious and they're delivered by freaking Mar- Marissa Tomei, who's in, infinitely likable. But then it has a very big emotional payoff at the end, which is nice. And, and so I love it, and I think that the scene of him like with the drones, where he really is running towards Mysterio, and he's like, "I fucking got this." I feel like just we never got a moment in the middle of the movie that showed his uh, spider sense not working. Like, you could argue that the whole Mysterio illusion scene was that, but they didn't drive home the Spider-Sense element enough for me to be like, okay, this is the, the through line for it. Yeah. Maybe they could have done something with the, the yeah. bus scene or something. I, again, I, I'm just I'm nitpicking here, but I just think storyline-wise, right. it feels like something's missing. No, they didn't you're, – you're right. They didn't really, like, hang a, hang a lantern on it, but I, I think we were supposed to – we were supposed to get the idea that if Peter had been trusting himself and his Spider-Sense from Go – he would have been like, that's not one giant fire guy. That's 400 right. things coming at me. I mm-hmm. can feel it. Yeah. Um, but you're right. Calling it out in some way in the middle, because it, it only comes back in the third act with Happy. One reminder, I think, would have made it hit just like a little bit harder. You're right. Right. Uh, Peter, of course, decides not to take a suit with him as he boards the plane. He decides to leave that, that, that and the nano suit at home. Don't take the laptop with you, Nick. It's a vacation. Absolutely. Don't I do it, Nick. Here. Don't take the laptop. I always do that. I love. I like watching Netflix on it. Uh, Brad, of course, now is super hot, and uh, JB Smoove is in this. And you know what, guys? <laughs> uh, say what you will about adding new characters to this. I love JB Smoove. I love now, him from Curb Enthusiasm. I love him in this movie. Do He's we so believe weird. that this was supposed to be Hannibal Buress at one point? Maybe. And I think it would have maybe I mean but I think it would have worked all the same because he's just been there for a little bit. Of time. Yeah. Do we think yeah. Do we think that this would have because like I'm just thinking about this like kind of like comedic like holy shit what's going on here type. I'm just like maybe that was supposed to be Hannibal because we saw Hannibal and I wonder what happened. I don't know. I don't know. Theories. Maybe. I don't know. Um, of course. The one I note know. I have about this is there's nothing funnier than a teacher just trying to keep it together. <laughs> and like oh this movie does such a great job, and so did the last one. But like they really nailed the high school experience uh, in movie form. But that includes teachers, and both these teachers just kind of trying is so funny. They give Martin Starr three lines, and those three lines are all just like, "Oh, buddy, your life is." Yeah. The Martin Star ex ex wife thing where she talks about it's we're coming up. We'll just get Yeah, it, it happens to be on the plane. Yeah, but I do like uh I do like Flash. Oh as we see Flash in first class because his parents <laughs> upgraded him. Or his yeah. parents probably didn't. He probably did it himself and they right. didn't notice. But I love MJ. It's such an MJ thing of being like and I love that this is a legal precedent in the Marvel universe. Right. Um, ma'am, he blipped. He's not twenty one, he's sixteen. What is that? How they handle that in the MCU? So funny, so goddamn funny. Uh, Of course, uh, Ned tries to help Peter switch seats so he can sit next to MJ, but it backfires on him. Ned ends up getting sat next to Betty. Uh, Brad gets sat next to MJ, and Peter ends up sitting next to Martin Starr, whose wife pretended to blip out. Uh, He's like, "We had a fake funeral for her and everything." Well, I guess it was a real (laughs) funeral for her, but she wasn't there. It was what a sad, sad thing. But also, sad man, I love it. Guess what? Guess who remembered to bring his dual headphone adapter, Carboni? 
Brad. Brad did. Brad and MJ, by the way, actually date in the comics after Peter and MJ break up in college. So throwing Brad in as a deep Marvel Comics reference really threw me off the first time I saw this movie because I was like, oh, no, MJ's going to date Brad for two movies. <laughs> nope. Because, and I was wow. So they're, they're very smart about they're, this They're shit, smart. Man. They're fucking smart, man. They know, uh, of course. They know what we know. We end up watching on the plane a documentary about Iron Man and the whole and all that stuff. And I always thought I, I said this last time we watched this, but I'm like I love that they that they have that meta documentary in this world. Well, and the Wakanda well, one too. Finding Wakanda, the the snap, the the Iron Heart, or the Iron Man, the Heart of Iron, or yeah. whatever the hell. Like, I love that there's like multiple things that all we all want to see. Uh, of course, there's some turbulence that happens, which makes Ned and Be- Ned and Betty immediately fall in love, and that is. Just perfect. Uh, Peter spends too much time in the bathroom and almost makes out with Brad instead of MJ. And we arrive in Venice, <laughs> Italy, and Ned and Betty Thank are you, in love. And now Thank boyfriend you. I'm not letting you just roll past that. No, Thank you. Thank you for phrasing it that way. He comes out hot, man. He's like, what's <laughs> up? And then Brad's like, what's up? And he's like, oh, no. You brought your dual headphone also? Uh, if, you, if you're on a plane and somebody else is on a plane and you both hold up a dual headphone adapter... That means meet me in the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's man. what that means. What happens if a third person holds it up? Sure. Buddy, you better hope they have a bigger bathroom than usual. We're <laughs> all dual headphone jacking. Uh, Peter gets his bag. And by the way, I glossed over this, though. When he first packs it, it has the initials BFP on it. And I don't know the significance of that. Is that his father's bag? Ben. Ben Parker. Oh, Uncle, Uncle Ben. Okay. That makes sense. Uncle Ben, yeah. Uh, and I will say uh, there is a, uh extended deleted scene that is a full-on action scene that you guys can watch on YouTube, and it's on all the – I think it might be – oh, it's on Disney+. Plus, But um, it's it's easily accessible that takes place before the Aunt May speech at Feast mm-hmm. that is Spider-Man in the Iron Spider suit stopping a bank robbery. And it's fucking awesome. It's like a five-minute straight-up fight scene, oh, and it's cool. really cool. And they were like, they wanted to have an action scene earlier in the movie, uh, but then pacing-wise, they're like, ah, we don't need it. So I love that they are the. I love that they are confident enough at at Marvel to not just previs, but co- complete an entire bank robbery action sequence with the Iron Spider suit that. They spent more money on that five minutes than I'll have for every production I work on in my life. And they were just like, doesn't work. Cut it. Cut it. <laughs> I love it. They should sell it as an NFT. Uh, of course, <laughs> Peter gets his bag and he goes through customs. And guess what? Aunt May was like, you don't want to forget this. She packed his suit for him. And the customs agent just looks at it and grabs the banana. And is like, you can't bring this in. I love it. I love the so, bag. I love this because I love the idea of, not everybody knows who Peter is. Everybody's still talking about Iron Man, right? And like the big like the big Avengers that everybody knows. And so I love this sort of mix of like culturally people like they just don't care in Europe who Spider Man is, maybe. Or like maybe there's just cosplay. I just think it, it was like it's cosplay. Like why would yeah. why would this guy be so stupid as the as the pattern yeah. authentic yeah. Spider Man costume here? And at this point Spider Man is like everyone knows who he is, so that's really great. Uh, and I love the payoff for that, too, with the, the Night Monkey, which you're getting to. Mm-hmm. I, I just put a note here, though, is I, I just love the music they chose every time they arrive in these new cities. 
It's great. I have no context for any of them, but the songs just seem to work for me. So if yeah. you know these songs, leave a comment in the comments below. Which, let me know which ones are your favorites or which ones are the ones I need to listen to. I've got my little espresso and I'm whipping around town in my Fiat. Uh, they check into their hotel and uh, let's see. The best that can be said about this place is that it's thinking and there's a lot of cats. Uh, I love the art direction. The art direction in these in these Spider-Man, I mean, in all MCU stuff, but the art direction in the Spider-Man John Watts movies is really good. I really love it when an art director is good at clutter, and they walk mm. into this hotel and I'm just and this, into this hostel, and I'm just like, this is a real place, and I just I just like it. I just like it. I love it. Uh, shout out to Claude Perret, who is the uh, production designer here, who has worked on a million different things, including like the Dark Phoenix movie uh, and the It one and two. So like, if you like the way It looks, Claude Perret did that too, which is very good. That's all. Cool. Uh, of course, Flash is live streaming like all of us would do. And Flash Mob, baby! Flash, Flash Mob! And that, Nick, did you, I mean, Tim, did you enjoy that branding? The second that oh. happened, I said, Tim's going to enjoy that branding. Dude, it's, so much. And the fact that it has payoff plot-wise, I think it's just it's brilliant, man. Like, this is the Spider-Man movies at their best. Dude, I tell you what, though. Flash Mob is so perfect and so douchey that you literally want to give this dude, like, a dick slap. And somebody does. They come by and they just slap her right in the dick. And I know it's inappropriate, but I fucking laugh at that part. Because that's what you want to do to people sometimes. But I just I just love that it's the bully, too. I, I think it's such a good take on Flash. Like, I, I love what they're doing with this yeah. MCUification. There's a pecking uh, order. He can, he can bully Peter, but anybody else can bully him. Yes. Uh, Peter, of course, goes out and buys the Fior de Nero, or the Black Dahlia, as we would call it, for MJ. And she catches him, and he tells him uh, she tells him this word, Bo which is her new superpower. And I studied Italian for three years in college, never once heard this word. Uh, I also got C's when I did it, so it's possible I just wasn't paying attention. Yeah, they, uh, said, it, they said it at the restaurant that I worked at, so okay. I, I knew it when she said, yeah, but it's slang, I think. Yeah, I think it's like Venetian slang or something like that. Um, never, I want to say Martin Starr, this is his second moment, and he drops like this teacher whose wife pretended to blip on him buys himself a $7,000 Leica and just drops it in the water. I'm just like, yes. There it is. Uh, Peter spots the water, of course, doing some weird shit, and a moment later, the whole canal erupts into a water elemental and starts messing everything up. We got our first action scene here. Uh, of course, Peter left his suit at the hotel, so he has to strap on one of those, like, carnival masks uh, that the Venetians wear. Venetian masks. So fun. Not carnival. That's a different, that's a different country. And if, uh, I was a Sony, if I was a Sony executive, Nick Scarpino, if I was at Sony Motion Pictures, I would say to myself, look at that Tom Holland running on those roofs in Venice. You know what? That's Nate Drake. Nate Drake, baby. I'm sorry. It's in theaters February 2022. That's Nate Drake. I thought you were going to say they made a toy out of him in the, in the Venetian mask. I'd have been like, oh, oh I, I wish they did. I, I wish know. they did. Toys. Uh, I like that uh, Mysterio's powers, number one. Mysterio immediately trusts Peter, and we don't know why when we first watch this, but we love it because nobody ever immediately trusts Peter. And number two, I like that Mysterio's powers visually mimic magic users in the MCU. So you, if you don't know who Mysterio is, and even if you do know who Mysterio is, you're like, Maybe he got a little bit of magic now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he has, like, the sort of symbols. Except his, instead of circles, his are, yeah. like, uh, triangles, triangles. Like that, which is cool. Uh, you're forgetting... Carboni that he trusts him because he says, who are you? And Peter says, I can help. I'm really strong and sticky. And sticky! 
such a good line. Uh, I like the sequence. I think it's really, really cool. And, of course, they have to drag it over to uh, the non-water part of Venice, which is few and far between, so that uh, Mysterio can blow it apart. A couple things I want to point out here that I really appreciate on my third watch now. The Spider-Man web-slinging choreography is so fucking good in this movie. And I feel like it just kind of, we turn our brains off and are just like, oh, there's an action scene, so things are happening. But if you really just go back and watch the way he's slinging through the alleyways and stuff of um, this location, it's fucking brilliant. Like, it's so damn good seeing the way that he uses things to propel himself. Like, there is such a great momentum to it that we want to see from Spider-Man, and I'm very impressed with what they do here. And the other thing is the uh, water monster that we get here. The score that's playing is Mysterio's theme, but, like, slowed down a bit. So it's not, like, immediately identifiable, but, like, if you know his theme, which I do know now because I've seen the movie three times, it's like, oh, shit, it's clearly Mysterio. Yeah. Uh I also, I also just want to say, how did they make Mysterio look cool in real life? They the first time I saw, it, though. The first time I saw that costume, I was just like, oh, you, how did you pull this? His costume fucked, man. Like, mm-hmm. that costume, that's good costume. And he should be the dumbest looking thing. And he's not. And I love Mysterio, and I've always loved Mysterio, and this makes me so happy. Uh, back at the hotel, of course, everyone theorizes on who that man was and what's happening. Peter calls Aunt May, who's hanging out with Happy, and May delights in making him uncomfortable because he's like, what's going on there? And, and May just loves it. We're part of this. Uh, love, uh, let's see, they talk about who this guy is, and they end up calling him Mysterio because the uh, the Italians call him El Uomo de Mistero, which means a mystery man, and they just... They're dumb kids. They hear Mysterio. So that's what he's called from now on. Uh, and I love that Flash constantly coming to Spider-Man. Uh, loves Spider-Man. He says he, he's like, what's not like about Spider-Man? He protects the neighborhood and he's inspiring. He inspires me to be a better man. And then he looks over at Peter and says, "What's up, Dickwad? I thought you were around." Uh, I do want to say that this okay. news, this newscast, or not the newscast, but the chatter, I believe that Ned that Ned talks about Morris Bench. This is another thing where they're trying to fake us out. Morris Bench is Hydro Man. When they say we heard it was some sort of sailor who like got powers or something, and they say his name is Morris Bench, I was like, oh, so maybe it's not Mysteria. Wait, that's Hydro Man. What are they trying to pull right now? And you know, another point there, Carboni. It's like the opening scene in Mexico. It's like it looks very much like Sandman. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like they they were trying to play with us. It's fun. Uh, of course, Peter and Ned head back to their room, and Ned immediately gets darted because you can't keep dodging Nick Fury's calls for long. Nick Fury's there to meet him, and he's not happy that a high school kid is dodging his calls. He tells him about the cyclone in Mexico and a similar event in another village. People keep knocking on the door in the scene, and it's kind of hilarious. Uh, there's Betty, there's Martin Stars. They head out to the uh, canal to chat, uh, and then Nick gives Peter a pair of Tony's glasses that Tony left for him. He says, heavy as the head that wears the crown, and Stark said you wouldn't get that because it's not a Star Wars reference, which is hilarious. And, of course, these are the sunglasses that are just those god-awful ones that Andy keeps bringing in. Thank God he's not here. Can I say it? Can I just say it? Oh, I hope he he comes. This is his his movie with his glasses, and I hope he he gets to join us. Always Uh, doing that air of an impression. I do like that you can tell, regardless regardless of the scroll-like reveal, I do love that you can tell that Nick Fury is mad that he doesn't get the glasses. He doesn't say it in this scene, in this scene but I like that Samuel L. Jackson was like, I don't care if I'm a fake Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Nick Fury would be mad he doesn't have these glasses. Yeah. I'm just going to play little, it like Nick Fury. Well, Another dude, thing, think, he's just bitter across the board that he has to engage with this teenage kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Totally. Uh, another thing I want to bring up, I, I, I think it's later that we get this and we get it throughout the movie, but they introduced the kind of like more like it looks like Nick Fury's bodyguard type character, but definitely like the driver guy mm-hmm. that ends up Dimitri. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Dimitri, of course, Carboni is not in the comics. Body driver? No, in the co- oh, the, he's the chameleon. The right? chameleon. No. Yeah. So it's like, that's an interesting thing for me where going into this movie, we knew the casting that someone named Dimitri was cast and Nick the Chameleon is named Dimitri. So it was like, we all were like, oh, there's there's probably going to be something going on Mm -hmm. where Nick Fury's acted weird because it's actually Mm -hmm. the Chameleon, but that ended up being Scrolls. So there's like Mm -hmm. a lot of shit that like, they they were playing with our knowledge of Spider-Man villains and like totally turning it on its head. And let me just tell you something, Nick, the Chameleon murdered two spies. Do you know who those super secret spies were, Nick? Uh, Peter's mother and father. That's right, Richard and Mary Parker. Right, perfect. Hey, thank God that's not in this movie. Uh, <laughs> they head down to a cool... Are they shield or sword at this point? Shield. Shield. shield, okay, shield, so shield. shield. Uh, they head into a cool shield base, base underneath the canals, uh, which houses uh, Maria Hill, Dimitri, and Mysterio, whose real name is Quentin Beck, and he introduces the fact that he's like, I'm not from your uh, universe, your multiverse. I'm from a different multiverse. I'm from Earth 833, I want to say, and you guys are Earth 616, which, Tim, it, do you want to tell us the significance of Earth 616? Well, that's the comic universe, which... I simultaneously hate and love. I hate it yeah. because it's like, this isn't the fucking 616. 616 is a comic universe. You have to be something different. But I love because it's a fucking lie. So all this is made up bullshit anyway. Yeah. Uh, Perfect. If you get a chance, just watch the blooper reel of nothing but Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Holland trying to do this respectful handshake. It is so Gold. hilarious. They can't. They both keep breaking. They both think it's ridiculous. It's silly as hell. And, like, they just keep moving in to do it, and one of them breaks every time. They apparently tried to shoot this handshake for, like, 45 minutes. I love that. Well, I, I don't know if you guys read that article that, that, that went around. That was just a nice little anecdote that Jake Gyllenhaal said about Tom Holland when he first started doing this movie. He was like, I was really, really nervous. And he turned to Tom, who was like – for help, and Tom was, like, super cool with him and helped him get through these, the first few scenes that he was in, and then, of course, Jake Gyllenhaal, he, like, ended up being totally fine, because he's a phenomenal actor, but he was like, I didn't expect to be that nervous, but joining such a big production like this was daunting, and so yeah. it was cool that he got along very well. Uh, something I want to say that is a note I wrote down around this part of the movie, like, during this whole multiverse speech thing with uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom, is more than anything, my dream project would be a Highest budget we've ever seen Disney Plus series that is just this Spider-Man uh, dealing with stuff. Because it would just be so good. We just are so invested and care about so many elements where it's the Spider-Man side, the Peter Parker side, the high school mm-hmm. side, the the relationships with his family. Like, all of it. Like, there's so much to get into. Making these Spider-Man villains that have multiple sides where we're sympathetic to them in some way, shape, or form for whatever reason. Like, there's just so much there. That would really be my personal 10 out of 10 dream project that we we'll are, never we actually are, get. <laughs> yeah, we are getting that animated series. That's we are. Tell a little bit more of this backstory, and I think that's kind of interesting, but you're right. I wish, I just wish we had more time with this, Peter. Yeah. Uh, of course, Beck tells them all about the multiverse and how he fought these elementals, but they destroyed his Earth, so he's, made, he's here to make sure they don't destroy ours. Uh, the elementals, fire. Nick, are elementals. real comic characters as well. Mm-hmm. This is all, they're just, they have eight, they have fake out upon fake out upon fake out here. 
They, uh, and I don't even think they're trying to fake us out anymore at this point. At this point in the movie is when I realize they're just trying to make me frustrated. Yeah. They're, <laughs> yeah. they're just uh, like, oh, I know you know what this is, fucking nerd. What happens when we say this? Do you? It's like it's like when I pretend to throw a ball to my dog. That's what they're doing. This whole movie is me pretending to oh throw God. a tennis ball to my dog, and I'm like, oh, it's the chameleon? No, it's not the chameleon. Is the elemental? No, it's not the elemental. The multiverse? Oh, okay. okay. Can you imagine if they just played this out and this movie ended and Mysterio was still a good guy? Oh, my God. And we got, like, two movies of Mysterio just, like, fighting alongside heroes. Oh, shit. Anyway, that's not the movie. Got Nick, continue. That is not, of course, the uh, fire elemental is the last they have to deal with, but it's also the hardest. It's the one that destroyed his world, and it's going to show back up in Prague. Uh, Peter tells them, listen, I would love to help, but I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, to which Nick responds, bitch, please. You've been to space. So good. So good. But, of course, Peter still declines because he's on vacation, and he's like, well, I'm not going to Prague. And the next day, Martin Starr comes out and tells everyone, guess what? We're going to Prague. The tour company upgraded us. And uh, and he tells uh, I think Nick Fury just hijacked our summer vacation. Uh, they get a dope ass bus with Dimitri as the driver, and off we go to Austria. I believe is the next spot. Uh, I think it was Prague to go first. I put Austria here. I'm not sure why. And we have to listen to the soundtrack every single day I drive around because this song is great. Uh, Peter looks at the top ten most romantic places in Prague, and then puts on Tony's glasses, which came with a little note to the next Tony Stark. I trust you. Say Edith. When he puts it on, the retinal and biometric scan accepts Edith is Tony's security system, which grants Peter access to all of Tony's protocols. Uh, and it is, of course, an acronym, because Tony would be remiss if he didn't have an acronym that stands for... Even dead, I'm, I'm the hero. Oh, if this doesn't make me actually laugh out loud every time I hear it, it is just such a heartwarming, perfect Tony darkest, smug-ass motherfucker. It's perfect. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I love. I do love that this is the first AI that they just sort of like, they just sort of like pulled from somewhere. She's like, she was like an assistant editor on the MCU, and they just really liked her voice. Really, an assistant dope. editor on like a few movies, and so they were just like, hey, get it? Yeah, her name is Don Michelle King, and they were just like, Don, you sound really good for this. Come on in, you're Edith. They just kept oh, it. Cool. It's weird that they totally did away with, away with Karen, though, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of strange, Karen. Even when he puts the suit on later, Karen's not there. I think it's because we don't want we don't want this Spider-Man to already have a relationship with this network because then he maybe wouldn't have given it away Makes as sense. easily. You Makes know, like, you know that's, wrong. that's a really interesting point. So we know that Karen is in the blue and red She's Civil War slash Homecoming uh, movies, right? But then yeah. going into Infinity War, almost immediately he's not in that suit anymore. Right, He's in I think, the Iron I think Spider. When Tony gives him the new version of his original suit at the end of Homecoming, I think we're supposed to believe that like he has removed the connection to Stark Tech. Like it's still Stark Tech, but it's not networked in anymore. Like you want to be your own guy? Here's a suit that makes you your own guy. So maybe it doesn't have a Karen AI inside of it. Because uh, he does activate instant kill in Endgame. This is an interesting uh, thing that I get that they're just writing it out and whatever, but but hmm. he activates it. But he activates it in this like Tony Stark spacesuit, spacesuit. You know what I mean? So maybe because at that point it's a new suit from Tony, it does 
anything that like where he's working with Tony is maybe networked in. And I think the suit that he gives Peter just to be Peter in his neighborhood maybe doesn't. That's the way I've always kind of like rationalized in my head. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting. I feel like they're just like it's a, it serves the plot or it doesn't serve the yeah, plot. But yeah, that I, is that is something I haven't thought about before that I do think is kind of an issue. I have thought about, I've thought about it a lot because you know I don't like it when he has an AI in his suit. Um, so for me, I'm I'm kind of like, oh okay, you've removed that. Good, good, good. Uh, but in this, I think I think the whole reason it's something new is number one, those glasses belonged to Tony, so it wouldn't be Karen mm-hmm. uh, because Karen was named by Peter and was Peter's AI that he was given. So I think uh I think this is an AI for Tony and for that like defense network. You yeah. Know? Totally. Right on. Thanks for vamping guys. I'm back from the bathroom. We vamped okay. baby. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Nick. We would go this long about every single detail yeah. if you weren't here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I can pee at any moment. Spider boys will never die. Spider boys life. Uh, Peter can see, of course, when he puts him on everyone's texts. And another fun moment for this character. He's like, this is totally wrong and puts him mm-hmm. away. And he doesn't abuse that. And Toby McGuire would have looked. Toby would have looked. Yeah. Toby would have oh, fucking looked. Toby totally would have looked. Uh, and then they take a pit stop, and Peter meets up with another S.H.I.E.L.D. operative to get another suit because Spider-Man can't be seen in Europe. I like that little touch. Uh, but it's weird. It is weird that she makes him take his clothes off. Of course, Brad comes in and, like a dick, takes a picture of Peter because he likes MJ, too. Now, to Brad's point... He's like, dude, you got to please delete that. And Brad's like, look, I'm going to be straight with you, man. I like MJ, too. And I'm going to show her this picture because this is creepy, and it'll give me a leg up I need. And you're like, touche, Brad. you got to respect Brad saying game on. And yeah. I think I think the reason I don't mind the, the Brad walking in and, and, like, the underwear and, like, number one, Nick, you know this is a classic teen comedy goof mix-up. Mm-hmm. So it's got – so, of course, it's going to be there. But number two – um. You know, all the S.H.I.E.L.D. operatives treat Peter this way. When everybody's like, why would she just be like, just take off your suit, don't talk to me? He's a kid. So far, everybody at S.H.I.E.L.D. has been like that to him. Right. Um, and one note that I made about this is, you know, in the comics, Peter Parker is one of the only superheroes that nobody has any record of. Nobody knows who he is. And if you know who he is, it's like Scout's Honor, I'm never going to tell. Um, so it's a little weird to me. That Peter, like, everybody in S.H.I.E.L.D. knows who Peter is, but I love it because of the juxtaposition of this adorable soft Peter and these, like, tough government agents. I'm okay with it. I'm My okay only with problem it. with it is, and I, I agree with everything you just said, I just don't like the actual lines of dialogue they have because I feel like it is an attempt to make us laugh as opposed mm-hmm. to a funny thing that this character would actually say. They wouldn't say, take off your clothes, take off your clothes. They would say, get in this suit. Yeah, and we, I need think to test, a, we need to test the suit. We need to test the comms. You know? that's, that's it where I'm like, you're playing this for a joke, and that's where the, the MCU, uh, everything has to be a joke. Everything has to be a, a, like a quippy thing. I'm just like, ah, oh, it took me out of it just a, just a little more than I'd like to be. But I love mm-hmm. the idea of Brad walking out on it because that is hilarious and that Peter Spider struggle for yeah. sure. I'll, I'll say a theme. I'll say a theme, theme of these two movies, and, and Nick, I think you might agree with me on this, is with, with these two movies – the setup, the setup for these things is usually very awkward, but they wind up paying it off in a bigger way than you would ever think. You know, mm-hmm. the connection of this I'll agree. to the to the defense network and everything is is a huge is a huge deal, and it's sort of the way we first learn about these drones and how scary they can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a dumb, clumsy setup, but they. I can't blame them because they pay things off so well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Of course, we're going to get that payoff right now where Peter tries to use Edith 
to uh, delete the picture from Brad's phone and ends up initiating a drone strike from space on him. Uh, he distracts everyone with a little baby mountain goat, because who doesn't want to see baby goats? Jumps out of the top of the bus and destroys the drone. You ever uh, see a mountain goat on, a, on the side of a mountain, Nick? Yeah, it's awesome. They're standing. You're like, how are you standing there? How are you doing that? They're adorable, it's, and it's wonderful. They apparently, I, I was just reading this on Instagram, they apparently have hooves that are specially designed to, like, they're, like, hard but then soft in the middle so they can grip on to uh, the rocks. And it was funny because in this Instagram post, they said the only thing that makes them fall off is they actually have abnormally large testicles that if they swing too far uh, will make them fall off. And then it said that last part was a lie, and I laughed out loud, but the hoof thing is real. God, I love you so much, Nick. Mm-hmm. This scene, I bet you you guys can go back and watch the first review, and you'll find me defending it. But it's one of my least favorite parts of the movie upon this rewatch. I don't like the way spe- the, the uh, speeder. Peter, Peter Spider-Man, Peter. Peter, jump out of the, the bus, shoot things, and immediately fall back. The physics fuck me up. It takes me out of it. I'm like, I, yeah. you could have done something cooler. I, I feel like they the rising Everybody's looking out the window? Yeah, like, there's a, a lot of elements here that I Everybody. feel like happen too much, too fast, and the way that they're like, okay, this drone is coming from space to literally kill this high school student, it's so funny, <laughs> but, like, the way it's handled, I'm like, ah, oh, for a joke that good, I think they could have done something a little bit more clever as opposed to just some clearly CG action thing that, like, yeah, just, it stands out as, in my opinion, bad. But this setup is the awkward setup like itself is the conclusion of the original setup but this is the setup for hey when you see these drones later Mm -hmm. you you're gonna remember how fucked up they are yeah yeah and it's scary uh then betty tells him she's like peter you think we wouldn't notice we do notice your new look it's great And then, of course, it cuts over to Brad. He's like, I swear to God, the picture was here a moment ago. And uh, Peter actually succeeds in taking it off uh, his phone. They arrive in Prague, and their hotel is amazing. Uh, Ned tells Peter uh, he has to save them all, or excuse me, save them all, and meet meet up with the team to go over the plan to stop fire. And you know what? Uh, Beck seems pretty cool, man. He's like, my friends here are here, and I can't help but think we're putting them in danger, is what Peter tells them. But Fury Cloud's back says, Stark gave you a multi-billion dollar augmented reality protocol, and you used it to almost drone strike your friends. It's clear you weren't ready. Uh, that's kind of the heart of the theme of this movie. Yeah. Uh, Mysterio. Heads up the, moment where, the moment where he's like, uh, Mr. well, me and Mr. Beck, and he goes, my name is Mysterio, and he gives Peter the spooky eyes, and you're just like, I love this guy, and mm-hmm. I want this guy to be the nice guy that he's saying he is, including on the on the roof, this moment that we're getting to right now where I'm just like, nobody has ever, ever, talk to Peter on this level in the MCU. Mm-hmm. And I get, and I'm on rewatch. I was so angry at Mysterio through this whole movie. Mm-hmm. I was so That's mad right. in a way that I wasn't the first time. You could have been so cool, Quentin. It could have so been friends, cool. Nick. Uh, he says uh, he has a heart to heart with Peter and Peter kind of opens up and says, I wasn't planning on saving the world this summer. And to which uh, Mysterio replies, you survive this. You'll have all summer to kill Brad. Peter hits up Edith and asks for help keeping his friends inside for the next few hours. She comes through with free tickets to a four-hour opera. Uh, meanwhile, the carnival outside is a banger. Uh, some say the party of the year. These kids are super bummed. They have to miss the whole thing. Such a good gag. 
It's great. Uh, the head of the opera and MJ is wearing a dress, and Peter tells her she looks really pretty, and she says, therefore, I have value, and Peter's like, ah, and he stumbles, and she goes, I'm just kidding. I'm just you're kidding. like, no, you're thinking of Tobey Maguire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is the, uh, that was two Spider-Man uh, universes yeah. ago. You're thinking uh, about Earth 2002. This is Earth 616, and I really like you. Yeah. Uh, I like that MJ makes the first move here, Nick. We don't she see does. that. We don't see that in the other versions. And, yeah, she wants to share a pair of opera glasses with him, and then she'll save him a seat next to her. And Peter's like, oh, okay, there's something here. Uh, but then the opera starts, and Peter realizes uh, uh, he's got to go. And then Brad looks over and flips him off as he sits down next to MJ, who immediately gets up and follows Peter. Uh, Betty and Ned, thinking that MJ is going to the party with Peter, uh, decided to follow suit. And now all four friends are in trouble. Peter wears his new suit to the carnival, and I'm going to say it. It's dope. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Betty and Ned hit the Ferris wheel, which, I'll tell you what, man. You're in the MCU. You're in any of these superhero universes. Stay away from the Ferris Stay wheel. Stay away. Especially if you're Ned and you have the insider information. Yeah. No. Yeah. We're not going on this thing. Betty, no. Mm-hmm. Let's, go, let's go eat cotton candy where we can stay nimble. Oh, I, I heard <laughs> they make the best pierogies in this sub-sub-sub-sub-basement restaurant mm-hmm. three mm-hmm. blocks from here. Yeah, yep. exactly. But I'll tell you what, when you know how it is, like Caraboni, you just fell in love, you just dual headphone jacked each other on the plane, and now you're like, whatever she wants to do, I'm in. I feel like kiss a, kiss a Girl on a Ferris Wheel is on the same list as dual headphone jack. You know what I mean? You know, I'll be honest with you, I'm a great kisser, Tim knows. Mm-hmm. But Ferris Wheel Kisses, not my nom de plum. It's too mm. back and forthy. I tense up too much in parts of my body that I need loose for good kissing. You gotta, You have to sit in the non-rocking, in the non-swinging carts they'll ask you in the beginning do you want a swinging cart or a stationary cart kissing's for the stationary cart oh i didn't know there was a stationary cart I'm now a, I'm you know hey this, is, this opens your kissing abilities to hold you nick i'm here for you and i want you to cross everything off that list get the stationary cart my dude okay okay you know what i'll, t- I'll tell you what next time i'm in italy and i'm on the ferris wheel i'm gonna ask mm-hmm. for a stationary cart and then i'm gonna live it. stream it just for your it own. only works on italian ferris wheels of course it's an Italian a regional fer- Ferris wheel. Let's put it this way. On Italian Ferris wheels, they're all supposed to be stationary, but not all of them are. Thanks Look. for that great Italian engineering. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Peter, uh, let's uh, here we go. Ned tells Betty. Uh, oh, go back. Oh, okay. Uh, then, of course, we get the elemental coming to life. Everything springs into action. Uh, Ned's, uh, Betty sees Spider-Man. She's like, hey, it's Spider-Man. He goes, no, 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 that's not Spider-Man. That's a weird European knockoff version of Spider-Man. And she's like, well, what's it called? And he goes, it's called the Night Monkey. God damn great. The Who came liner, up with that? I don't the know. But the one-liner that just was heard around the world for six months after this, people were obsessed with Night Monkey. That's oh, great. It's great. It's so good. Uh, Mr. and Spidey so team up to fight the fire with fire, fire with fire, and the fire and Ferris will becomes collateral damage. Peter inadvertently locks, knocks a small uh, drone projector loose, which MJ spots and grabs. Uh, Beck sacrifices himself to save the city, uh, shouting, "Whatever happens, I'm glad we met." To Peter as he goes in, and he goes I get super green. So mad at mm-hmm. Mysterio during this scene because he is just Invoking. the best partner. He's just the best partner to Peter during this. He's like, don't worry, you got this, and I'll go left, you go right, and they just work together so beautifully. And I get so mad at Quentin Beck during this scene. I mean, uh, dude, one of the, the best Easter eggs of this moment is before, like, he does the whole sacrifice play. He tells Peter exactly what he's going to do. He sets it up in a very Tony Stark-esque way. Mm-hmm. He looks at him, and before he runs out of he snaps. Yeah. And goes. And it's Ooh. like, God damn 
that emotional, was good. Emotional manipulation of Peter Parker all throughout this movie. Uh, sound design moment that I'm sure you really enjoyed, Tim, as I did. There's a split, split second where the score drops out and you hear just a little bit of the carousel music before it gets thrashed. Dopeness. It was very good. <laughs> uh, of course, Beck survives because it's his illusion, and Nick asks him to officially join the team and join them in Berlin at their HQ over there, and then tells Peter he needs to decide whether or not he's going to step up now. Uh, Stark shows you he made you an Avengers. I need that. The world needs that. Maybe Stark was wrong. We'll see. The choice is yours. Uh, Emotional Beck, manipulation! Of course, man. Quit playing games with my heart. Beck, of course, invites Peter out for a drink, knowing that Peter's uh, teetering, uh, and he tells uh, Peter tells me he's conflicted. He just wanted to go on a trip with his friend, go to the Eiffel Tower with a girl he really likes, and maybe give her a kiss. Uh, he lets Beck try on the glasses, and they remind him immediately of Tony. And I love that he's sort of got some facial hair and all that stuff. You don't really realize it at first, but it's all designed to manipulate Peter's emotions. Yeah. Uh, and then it gets, he gets the bright idea. He remembers the note. He says to the next Tony, next Tony Stark, I trust you. And he says, maybe he didn't trust me to have Edith. Maybe he trusted me to find the next Tony Stark. This uh, is why punctuation is so important. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Specificity is the is the core of communication, Nick Scarpino. Mm-hmm. You put a comma, it's too staccato. That should have been a period. If I was the copy editor, I would have said that should have been a period, Tony Stark. He could have avoided a lot of problems right here. A lot of problems. Right. I do like the image of two superheroes with their masks off at a pub in Prague and nobody cares. Yep. That's <laughs> it's um, so fun. Also, just just for clarity's sake, Tim, if you ever want to leave me um, control of the company, put mm-hmm. Nick, comma, you're in control of the company. Yeah. Period. Uh-huh. Greg, yeah. comma, fuck off. That's what I need you to put. Uh, it's, uh, of course, Peter transfers control of Edith to Quentin Beck. And welcome to the Avengers. They look good on you is what he says. And then Quentin says, good luck, kid. I give you about a 50-50 chance. You're pretty awkward, of course, referring to, uh, to I guess, everything. Uh, and then Peter leaves to find MJ, and the whole bar disappears. As Quentin says, wait for it. See, that wasn't so hard. Uh, and then everyone goes up crazy and starts uh, starts applauding because they pulled it off, man. Somebody get this stupid costume off me is what he screams as we end the scene. Uh, this is one of the most unforgettable movie moments of all time for me. Oh, where no, sorry. Every, we're end the scene here. We, we keep going on. But sorry. Yeah. Go ahead, Just every once in a while, something will happen in a movie where I'm like, I did not see that coming. Or mm-hmm. sometimes things will happen where I'm like, I saw this coming. And then I'm like, oh, wait, no, you did it in a completely better way than I could have ever imagined. Yeah. And that is what happened here. This twist, I was like, okay, cool, here it is. He's the villain. But how are they going to explain? Like, the entire movie, just like Carboni was saying, I'm like, how would the- – he got wet from the water. There are things being damaged. Like, what is going on? And the way they just go through it all – and I, I personally love how they're like, all right, there's people out there that don't like how Tony Stark and MCU, all these Spider-Man movies are. Fuck y'all. We're telling our story here, and we're going to tell it to the best of our abilities. Them tying it back to Barf, them tying it back to the dude from Iron Man 1, it is so brilliant, such a good use of what they've set up over the last 10-plus years. And I absolutely love how much sense it all makes. Yeah. Where I'm just like, you know what? I believe you, Mysterio. I believe in your team. I believe in what's happening. And you got the stuff. You got the powers. You have the science behind it. You're literally using Stark tech. Not just, oh, I found some Stark tech here and now I'm the bad guy. It's like y'all have the smarts to back it up because you were literally working for Stark. Mm-hmm. I love this also Great. because it's such a mirror of um, Adrian Veidt from Watchmen. 
Mm-hmm. The idea that he doesn't just hire hire scientists, he hires writers and artists, and it's like a whole production team. So cool. Uh, and what I like about that is, like, in the comics, it's always Quentin Beck was a special effects guy, and he was blackballed from the industry, and now he makes these uh, illusions. And it's like, how? And I right. love the idea of Mysterio is really an organization of people rallied behind a common cause, which is, of course, Phase one and two, Tony Stark was the worst employer. Mm-hmm. Of course he was. And I, I just, I love this whole thing. The motivational speech that he gives and the thank, like, we did this, we did this together. We are Mysterio, like, is so good. Um, but I also notice he doesn't make fun of Peter. He doesn't make fun of Peter. He says, he poor kid. Call him a He's, hormonal teenager at one point. Yeah. He says, yeah, he, he, says, he says, then everyone will listen uh, to us, not a boozy man-child, not a hormonal teenager, but to me yeah. and my very wealthy crew. But, yeah, but, he's not – yeah, I think he – he's a he doesn't, he doesn't rail on him. He's like, no, sure. Peter's a good kid. Yeah. I love this toast as framing for exposition. Like, it's such mm-hmm. a good excuse to give us exposition and explain all this stuff. And what if it, it was a clip of the toast on the news? Then it would have been a problem. No, I, I love this, man. I think it's really, really cool. And I, I, it, it, it's funny. Like, at the end of the day, it's like it's connecting the MCU. It's explaining the plot of this movie. And it, like, makes us feel things, you know, whether yeah. it's just like, oh, my God, it's that girl. I can't believe they connected this. It's like, this is a smart fucking plan. Like, you're a good bad guy. Uh, of course, Peter uh, returns back to the hotel excited to continue his trip, but it's been canceled. Their parents all want them to come home, of course, because they just got attacked. Uh, MJ asks where Peter went, and he goes, I got lost. She says, good thing you're back. So much for Paris. Uh, then Peter has a, a moment here where he mans up, and he tells MJ he's not ready for the trip to be over yet, and she immediately says yes. Uh, you know, she closes the door, and then he goes to knock on it again, and she opens it back up. I like that moment. She I love says, he has he says, no plan. Zero plan, but he said, I'll see you outside in 10 minutes. She said, meet me outside in five. Uh, and they go for a walk on a very romantic bridge, with, which my wife says is never, ever, ever not crowded. Uh, and then MJ tells Peter they used to ex- – or she says they used to execute people here. He's like, hmm, good to know. And Peter wants to tell MJ something, and so he says he, – he musters up all of his courage, and he says, I – and she says, am Spider-Man. And she says, that's what you want to say, right? You're Spider-Man, and I love it. I'm like, wow, she just figured it out. Because she's not stupid, right? He's like, wait, what are you talking about? She's like, come on, DC, all that stuff, you were on the ground, yada, 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 I'm not dumb. And uh, she's like, you're either, she's like, we think you're a Spider-Man or a male escort. I love that. And then she goes, no, no, today it was the Night Monkey. Uh, That's what it said on the news. And the news never lies. Uh, She shows Peter the drone camera thingy that that, that got webbed, he webbed off uh, and the same stuff. Uh, sorry, excuse me. She shows him the projector, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Okay, well then, why does the Night Monkey use the same uh, web technology that Spider-Man uses?" And she's like, "Well, he's like, you got me there." Uh, and then he goes, "Wait, were you only watching me because you thought I was Spider-Man?" And she gets nervous and says, "Yeah, why else would I be watching you?" And she kind of chickens out there. Then the drone camera goes nuts and it projects the cyclone elemental from Mexico, and Peter realizes, "Uh oh, the elementals are fake." Then he goes, "Why would something like that? Who would do something like that?" And he realizes, "Mysterio." He just immediately screwed up. Uh, I love that back. he confesses yep. immediately when he when he fucked up. He's like, "Oh God, I fucked up. I'm yep. Spider Man. Can we move on? Because I have to fix this." Yeah, he's like, "I am Spider Man. <laughs> I really messed up." She goes, "Are you serious?" Because I was only like six percent sure you were Spider Man. He's like, "Yes, I'm Spider Man." Uh, and then over in the theater, Mysterio practices uh, the next fight with this collage is going to be huge. Before we get to that scene, which I absolutely love, just this Tom Holland MJ back and mm-hmm. forth. I I have seen it multiple times now. And every time it makes me think, 
I thought we couldn't get as good as Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. Huh. And then they cast Zendaya. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, like, the two of these characters, people, together, I just believe in so much. And I love that they make Zendaya a character. I love that yeah. she figured it out, but still was questioning herself. And then when it was confirmed, she was like, fuck yeah, I was right. Like, I really, really love that. It's, it's a it's, different energy. I was going to say it's a different Oh, it's different. Vibe, oh, absolutely sure. different. That's why I didn't say better. Because they're like the, as good as. I'll say the vibe between Tom Holland and Zendaya is very high school love 1.0, where you're just excited to kiss each other. Mm-hmm. The vibe between Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield was definitely a third base to home run sort of vibe every single time. Yeah. Both are great, just different. Anyway, yeah, over like the with that. It was, it's, it's, a pr- it's prom night every night with those two, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mysterio practices the the next fight with his crew. I like the scene we see behind the scenes. Love that he's wearing legitimately just a green screen suit that they use to like composite the armor onto Tony Stark. That you'd see like behind the scenes, they just have him in it, which is cool. Fucking cool. Uh, the software upload once the software is uploaded to Edith, it will allow them to create an event that can cover an entire city like London, uh, so they can save the world from an Avengers level threat, which is what Quinn wants to do. We see that we see the Stark drones. We recognize the Stark drones from the scene that we don't like, but we understand what they are because of the scene that we don't like. Mm-hmm. And we also see the villainous part of Beck here. The two things that I really love is like, hey, London's a pretty big city and there are going to be a lot of casualties. He's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. And well, then the thing where then the thing where it's like, and nobody wants to get a bullet in the head, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. He really is horrible. He's, yeah, he's very, very uh, evil. And, of course, that, that happens when William act, tells him that one of the projectors – he's like, why is this messing up? He goes, oh, one of the projectors is missing, but don't worry about it. No one's going to know that. And Beck's like, what do you mean? It's missing. That is that is evidence against us. We have to find that. Uh, and that's when he, he draws the, the, the drones on him, and they're like, oh, he's willing to kill for this. Uh, mm-hmm. And they track, of course, they, they hack into the drone, and they track the projector back to Peter and MJ, who are hiding out in the hotel. Uh, Peter decides his best course of action is to go to Berlin to talk to Nick Fury in person. Uh, he changes in front of MJ and is just shredded in this movie. Now, the first movie I was like, okay, Tom Holland clearly just cheating because he's super skinny, right? And we all, we left him off the abs list originally, Tim, if you remember, mm-hmm. because I was like, he didn't put on a lot of muscle for that. He's just super skinny, and it's easier for super skinny people to have a six-pack. That's my jealousy. He put on more muscle than Garfield. He put on a lot more. Well, he put on a lot of muscle for this one because he, yeah. he looked like he's got a solid 10 pounds of muscle in just the abs section. He looks fantastic. Were they born? Born in labs. Now it's time to rank those abs. What's up, everybody? <laughs> we haven't done it yet, but let's rank those abs. Starting off, I will say I think Tobey Maguire probably looks the most, like, thick. Out of all the Spider-Man, so I'm going to put him at number one. Uh, number two, I'm going to put Tom Holland from Far From Home. And then number three, I'll give to Andrew Garfield, who is more of a leaner, taller, sort of lengthier Spider-Man. Agreed. There you go. And Perfect ranking. Write those out, ladies and gentlemen. Back to the plot. Uh, let's see. Uh, the, the little jealousy here between Ned and MJ is amazing. It's perfect. It's fucking perfect. <laughs> I just love it. When he's like, y- y'all working the case? Like, yeah. <laughs> such good dialogue, man. Uh, and then he tells them both not to tell anyone about this because anyone who knows about this is in danger. Then he jumps out the window. And I missed this the first time. And I am sad to say that I missed this because this is a great MJ moment. He goes, don't tell anyone about this. Anyone who knows about this is in danger. I'll be back. And then jumps out the window and webs away. And she just takes a real long, deep breath as she just yeah. watched him run out of that. And it is definitely an MJ from Spider-Man 2 kind of moment. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter heads to Berlin, and Nick picks him up with uh, in another Audi. Uh, this movie is brought to you by Audi and takes him to Mission Control. Uh, this where here that Peter uh, appraises Nick and Maria of the situation that Beck is a liar, and then Peter's uh, Peter Tingle starts to pop, and the illusion gets dropped, and Peter gets stuck in a very scary nightmare escape. Uh, this scene is cool, but it's very cartoony. Is the only critique I have of it is that it doesn't feel like a real part of this movie it feels I was like just a about to ask I was just about to ask because I too really love this but I do it's one of those it's one of those things and I know Tim you said when we when we started off that this is this is it this scene is kind of it for you and I and I I understand emotionally symbolically even in terms of action and choreography it's great but it is one of those scenes where it's like don't think too much about how this is working mm-hmm. so my feedback to that mm-hmm. is I feel where you guys are coming from, but we have established the rules of these projections. Because of that, I think all of this works. I think the fact that it is a lot of different elements that are both physically and being projected on him, mm-hmm. the the fact that they have him kind of knock out a couple drones and we see what's really out there in a couple of these scenes, mm-hmm. I think makes it not feel like a cartoon, even though it does feel like a cartoon for what he's experiencing, but that is what he's experiencing. Mm-hmm. It's just the out, there is a reality that is believable for where they're at. I fucking yeah. love it. And I love the fact that, again, it's layered as they like kick him out of it. But all of that is just a thing that was written by people that have way too much time on their hands. And their sole job is coming up the, with these ridiculous mini productions with mm-hmm. writers and the fact that there's a team behind it makes me like makes go sense. okay because we see like 30 people in that bar yeah. you know yeah. like we're introduced to a couple but i'm like okay cool like they know what they're doing if it was just mysterio i'd have a harder time being like how the fuck did he come up with all this but here it's like they have been planning this for a while they knew what they were doing sure some of it could be like a little how they pl- get all of the elements together this quickly they fucking did it though i am so yeah. in. i think the scene is incredible i like uh, the, yeah uh, I like the, the moment the, where he he turns to punch back, and then it, the the illusion goes away for a second as he punches a cinder, like a just a cinder column of cement, yeah. and he's like, "Ow!" I love that part. I love stuff like that. Yeah, it was it's good, and the way and the way it ends like three layers deep, where he just gets hit with a train, which I also think is what makes you feel cartoony about it. Nick is like it literally ends with like a roadrunner coyote getting hit by a train. Mm-hmm. So, see, um, I, I, I love that though. I, I think no, I love it too. Actually, getting hit by a train, like. To me, that felt cartoony, but, like, that was real. And I think yeah. that that kind of balances everything out, and he has to deal with the effects of that. Like, he is Spider-Man. He is this super-powered person, but he's kind of hit by a fucking train. And, like, yeah. he gets really damaged from that, which I think is, is cool. But also, it gives us a power-level understanding of, like, he's still okay. <laughs> like, he got mm-hmm. hit by a fucking train, a speeding train, and he's fine. Like, I think that that did a great job for me of, like, believing the Mysterio scene a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, Beck takes the opportunity to reroute Peter's classmates to fly into London so he can kill all the loose ends, but Peter's not dead. He passed out on the train and wakes up in a municipal holding facility with a bunch of Dutch soccer hooligans who are all just delightful. Oh, and he my says, God. You know what? He says, you guys are really nice, and you speak really good English. And one of the guys says, welcome to the Netherlands. <laughs> Dude. The, the running gag of just the Netherlands is just nice and good. Thing ever. And like, like the thing, the the cell opens and like they don't leave. They go to close no, the door close again. That. Like, are you guys okay in there? You know, like all this stuff is so I good. 
And of course, something, Peter, go ahead. something I wanted to point out um, that I, I thought about this moment in the movie is it's cool that for so for every one of the Spider-Man movies so far, there's been some iconic moment that we're looking forward to or expecting or um, revisiting that we've already seen in some of the movies, whether it's Uncle Ben's death or Mary Jane or uh, sorry, Gwen Stacy's death, like these type of the Venom, the Black Symbiote, art, art, all that stuff. Here, this is the first movie we've gotten that isn't trying to have any of those moments at all. Like, even Homecoming had the him trying to, like, pull up the mm-hmm. rubble and all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. this movie, I think, deserves a little bit extra credit because it just told a really damn unique story that was a good Spider-Man story, but it, that isn't necessarily based on things that we've known before. Yeah. Uh, Peter, of course, borrows a Dutchman's phone, uh, who's like, yeah, I just I, asked, like, just asked, hey, man, can I have your phone? Of course. Of course. <laughs> and call <laughs> And then he calls Happy to tell him where he's at. Uh, moments later, uh, the star. When you first watched this movie, did you know he was calling Happy? I assumed as much. Did you? Because who else would he trust, right? Because yeah. he doesn't know who Nick Fury is now. Like he doesn't really know. He can't. He can't trust that he's too close. So I just assumed he'd call Happy. Happy. I guess I didn't think about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was. Course. I was actually a little surprised that it was Happy. Really? And, yeah. I mean, I guess. I mean, I guess I knew. Like, I knew plot-wise and functionally that it was going to be happy, but I think because of how contentious their relationship had been in the first one, it surprised me, which is why I also think that they do the whole thing of, like, just how relieved and how happy they are to see each other. Mm-hmm. Um, this this moment here just uh, – when I talk about emotional core, it's this. It's like we didn't see it. We didn't get to experience it. This movie jumps ahead a lot. but like. Damn, I love how much Happy and Peter love each other now. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, I mean, come on, they're almost family, for Christ's sake. He's dating his aunt. Uh, but he doesn't trust him just yet as he walks up. He says, tell me something only you would know because he wants to make sure it's not an illusion. And Happy tells Peter that he knows that he watched porn in Germany. He's like, all right. Uh, and then they go over to the plane where Happy sutures him, and he tells him to relax. And Peter just freaks out. He's like, I can't relax. I messed everything up. He says, I'm sorry. I just really miss him. Uh, everywhere I go, I see his face. We, we didn't touch upon that, though, all the great Iron Man sort of like – messiah imagery that we see everywhere you know graffiti on the walls and people painting pictures of them and all that stuff yeah even when they don't call it out and the camera doesn't like linger on it they were really good about just like throwing it in places around the world yeah there's that great moment where he's in new york still and he's sitting um after the the press conference and he's sitting on top of a building and it's just that amazing giant building style mural of iron man as he's like with his with his uh repulsors like coming forward toward the camera it's really really cool is that the right word what are they called Mm -hmm. Yeah, repulsors. Repulsors. Uh, of course, uh, Happy takes this opportunity. He's like, or he's like, listen, man, I'm. The world is asking who the next Iron Man is. I'm not Iron Man. And he's like, let me be honest with you, man. Tony was a mess. He second guessed himself all over the place. The only thing he didn't second guess was taking you. Your friends are in danger. You're missing your tech. What are you gonna do about it? And Peter's like, you know what? I'm gonna use your cell phone. So he uses his cell phone to track Flash via his Instagram but- reels. But I do love news. I do love the I'm gonna kick his ass and then Happy is immediately like oh no 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 like you need a like what's the plan for yeah, doing yeah, yeah, that yeah. like what are you said, no what are you doing right now no, what are we gonna do like, right like, now <laughs> immediately goes, but, all right, all right. Flash though answering his phone or like the live stream like yo what's up Flash Mob it's the big F so good <laughs> he refers to himself as the big F of course he does and we refer to you as the as the big T Thank uh, you. Thank now you. all he needs is a suit. Thankfully, the plane comes stock with a nano suit maker in the back. Happy watches with pride while Peter uses the Stark tech to make his own customized 
Spider-Man suit, drawing, so, drawing from all the things he's had in the past. Yeah. And let me just let me just get this moment out because it's the best moment in the movie. He says, "What are you looking at?" And Happy says, "Nothing." He goes, "You take care of the suit. I'll take care of the music." And he plays ACDC's "Back in Black," which of course ACDC being a staple of the Stark family. And Peter responds, "I love Led Zeppelin," and it's a fucking facepalm moment that's so great, so good. But I, you know, as much as I said. I hate the Tony Stark of, of it all, particularly in Homecoming. It just felt like it was all there. You know, it's a little better after Endgame for reasons, obviously. Um, it's a little more understandable. But also, just like we were saying, a theme of this, a theme of these movies is sometimes I don't like the way they set things up, but they always pay them off very well. And this moment here where Peter comes into his own, he's making his suit, that's what was missing, right? I hated that Peter was gifted everything when, like, we talked about how much we love Andrew Garfield watching YouTube videos and building his tech, you know? This is where Spider-Man becomes, like, this amalgam of what everybody loves about Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching Happy watch him the way he watched, you know, they're like, oh, no, he's this is Tony. Like, I'm, I'm going to help. Like, and this is the next Tony. And, like, it worked. I, I turned. I, I was a hater, and I turned into a lover. There you go. This this scene is incredible to me, and it, it's for so many reasons. For everything Carboni said, totally agree. I think they it takes the MCU and makes it a Spider-Man moment, while simultaneously being one of the most powerful MCU moments ever. It's playing with our emotions as moviegoers. This is months after Endgame, but in addition to that, it's not just oh Tony Stark died. This is Iron Man died, the character that started the MCU. We are a decade deep into this storytelling. And this is the greatest tribute they could have possibly done of uh, dealing with the the post end game. How are we gonna? What does this world look like? And this is to say it's the passing of the torch. I think isn't even giving it enough credit because I love the I need a suit. Him and Happy being boys at this point, which I keep saying I love that these movies are great Spider Man movies, but also great Iron Man movie sequels, and or at least like the trilogy, uh, the mm-hmm. sequel trilogy. And I really, really love how the Avengers theme kicks in when he starts going back to make his suit. And it's like such a powerful moment of that's the passing of the torch. But then the ACDC music playing and him wearing the black, pulling up the hollow and all that stuff. It is just that extra element that I don't think any of us would have ever expected. And like, they did that for us. That was Mm -hmm. such a thing for the audience of like, Hey, Tony's gone, but it's okay. And I I really, really appreciate that. Cause I think it works in the context of this movie. In context of the MCU, but in just in context of us as fans growing up watching these movies. Yeah. Tony's gone, but it's okay because we're handing everything off to this character, and legally, it's going to be fine. There's no reason we should think that this character won't be here. We are happy handing the keys to the kingdom over to this character, Mm -hmm. which we are sure will not backfire on us in any way. Yep. Super safe. Super safe. (laughs) Uh, back over God, you go, they're just they're just sitting in their offices like, good God, I hope they like Ironheart. Good God, I hope they like Ironheart. <laughs> uh, back on the ground, Brad tries to call attention to the fact that Peter is shady and MJ, knowing now everything, turns right back around to him and says, why would you think it's cool to take a picture of people in the bathroom? And everyone's like, oh, you're gross. And then JB Smooth has a great moment here where he pulls Brad aside and says, listen, I'm going to be a cool teacher right now. 
you got to stop doing that. No more doing that. No more taking pictures of people in the bathroom. Uh, one of Beck's men picks up the kids while he puts his, uh, his, his plan in place, which is 100 times bigger than the other ones. Uh, Peter puts a finishing touch on his new suit, which is red and black, and it's so cool. Uh, while Happy sends a Nick a coded message that could not be less coded if he tried. Uh, and then he asks Peter how he's going to beat the holograms, and Peter tells him he's got the – he's like, I got this thing. It's like a six sense thing. And he goes, oh, the Peter tingle. Yeah, great. The payoff so of the Peter the Tingle, Peter man. Tingle. Uh, uh, that's the, what they call the Peter Tingle payoff. Now, now Tim Geddes, mm-hmm. you being a, uh, a deep Spider-Man lore and Spider-Man production fan, did you notice the similarities of this suit to anything else? This suit in particular and the red and I, black in particular. I mean, so – Two things come to mind. Obviously, I was a little shocked they would do this with Miles' suit being black and red as opposed mm-hmm. to red and black, but mainly Superior Spider-Man. It is so close. Yeah. Yeah, Superior Spider-Man and the original Alex Ross production sketches for the original Spider-Man movie. Interesting. I do not know that. Were the red and black, and they were almost exactly this suit. Now, there are a lot of similarities between a lot of different spider suits. Oh, wow, yeah. But, and and sometimes it's just because there are, uh, are iconic elements. That's why a lot of the video game suits, even if they weren't from comics, kind of just look like they were. Um, but this is very much the Alex Ross Spider-Man suit that they never got to use for the first movie, and I just love that they pulled it back in. This is so funny, because looking at this, just Google searching it, I am shocked this is the Superior Spider-Man suit. Yeah. Like, holy oh, crap. Yeah, Kevin, one sec. What's Superior Spider-Man? That's cool. Oh, oh you're going to love Superior Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Give, uh, Carboni, please give Nick the, like, one-liner of what this is, because I'm re- thinking about this recently. I'm like, what stories does the MCU even have left to tell that are this iconic and this big of a deal? And Superior Spider-Man is something we will get on film one day. What is it, Carboni? Imagine if you will. Through a freak accident of science, Mm -hmm. Dr. Otto Octavius wakes up with his mind in the body of Peter Parker. Oh, that's cool. And he says, Peter Parker, what a waste of potential. What a waste of power and opportunity and intellect. I will do more with Peter Parker's life than he has ever done with it. I will be the greatest Spider-Man this world has ever known. That's cool. <laughs> and he becomes the superior Spider-Man. That's One bad. of my favorite 33-issue arcs in a comic ever. Ah, well, ladies and gentlemen, we're not quite done with this arc. We're going back <laughs> down to <laughs> London, uh, where, uh, let's see, uh, the massive elemental comes out of the water near the Tower Bridge, and Beck comments, now that's an Avengers-level threat. MJ and Ned realize they're in danger while Peter rides on the outside of the plane. Before he jumps, he tells Happy, listen, we're going to need to have a real conversation about you and my aunt. And I think, I'm not, I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure Happy kind of like tilts the plane over and Peter falls off. Uh, and he's relieved when he when he's off. That part of that last part I made up, but I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, <laughs> he realizes Beck is full of shit. Uh, and and uh, Beck's like, listen, I got to do X, Y, and Z. And when he gets off the phone, he goes, oh, that's some bullshit. As Peter en- enters the illusion and starts... Um, webbing all the drones together so he can use his taser web, I think, to electrify them and break the illusion, which works. Uh, Maria Hill, at one point, one of the drones, as it breaks down, one of the drones is literally right in front of 
uh, Nick Fury about to put a bullet in his head, and he, he uh, radios to Maria Hill, you got me, and she goes, I got you, and she takes it out, which is cool. Uh, Beck tells his team to kill the illusion, and and they're like, what are you going to do? He goes, don't worry about it, I have a plan. And then Janice asks if he still needs his cape, and he goes, yes, Janice, I still need the cape. Oh, <laughs> it's a great moment. I love that he's just, he's just a he is just a, diva, just a diva even throughout this. You yeah. know, even in this moment, it's just like, yeah, of course I'm going to murder all these people, and then I need the cape. Of course. Of course. Of course. I, like, I, I love the line it. where he's like, I could be standing in front of the queen in one hour. I need that cape. Uh, Happy lands and tries to get the kids aboard, but the Stark jet blows up. So plan B, uh, Beck orders the drones to take out Spider-Man. Awesome scene of all, all the stuff here to me with Spider-Man webbing around 10 out of 10. I love the occasional hang time he gets. He'll yeah. go up and he'll like he'll be going one way, but he'll turn around and like shoot the web the other way and like do all sorts of cool stuff. It's all super creative. I one love of my... the first person drone perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They did a little bit in Amazing Spider-Man, which here we're here like where you see it kind of flying from its wing, very uh, very Top Gun. I love the uh, the bit during this fight when he um, and we're not quite. I don't think we're at the moment yet, but there's a part where he gets set on fire by a drone, and so he swings himself through the water to put yeah. himself out, cool. and it's just. Oh, it's amazing watching these, you know, I forget sometimes that we've compressed 20 years of movie making into like the last few weeks. Yeah. And it's been fun to watch the character get better at being Spider-Man, but also watch the technology and the artists behind it get better at understanding how to depict Spider-Man. And this fight is just so good it's because really it's cool. so Spider-Man. Uh, of course, Happy takes the kids to a museum to hide them in the vault, uh, and the drones attack them. MJ grabs a mace and knocks one down as Happy tries to, as they go, I love this part, Happy, they try to, they go into the vault and Happy grabs a shield and tries to hurl it at one of the drones and it just falls limply to the ground. He's like, how does Cap do that? And then, <laughs> I love the vault. I love that this also, this, the juxtaposition between the two here, five people having to hide and take down one of these drones together in this moment is such a great reminder of what Peter's doing by mm-hmm. facing a thousand of them. And I just mm-hmm. love that. Uh, out of webs, of course, Peter has to improvise. Uh, back, yeah. in the, back in the uh, vault, the kids face with death, start oversharing, and happy confessions to being in love with Spider-Man's aunt. And he's like, well, I thought, we were, I thought we were confessing. I thought we were in like, a trust. Is Betty Brant in the inner circle in this next one, do I you don't, think? She must be, right? Because now she can put two and two together. When she sees happy with Aunt May, she's going to know that Peter's Spider-Man. Well, I guess it doesn't matter at the end of this movie. Who cares? Yeah. Someone figures out that Peter's Spider-Man. Hmm. I, I'd love for her to be, the, to be part of the inner circle. I also love... I also love this moment. We talk about the moments of Peter and Spider-Man being like coming together and how hard that was for them to get right in the movies. Peter being out of webs and being like, well, I'm Spider-Man, but let's not forget, just because I have the Spider-Man suit on doesn't mean I forget freaking science. Yeah. Like, I'll figure out how to do this. Yeah, it's cool. And he, I like how he hits the ride on like, the, the gun that like blows things up into the air, like the gravity gun or whatever the heck yeah. it is. Uh, of course, when he gets up. By the way, shout out to Jake Gyllenhaal. Just Loving, loving all the scenes he's in, just playing it up as hard as he possibly can in this one, like, bridge hallway. hallway. <laughs> but uh, Peter goes up and grabs him, and of course, um, Beck, not to be outdone, casts Peter once more time into the illusionscape. Uh, Peter takes a deep breath and then tells himself, come on, Peter Tingle, and he straight murks all the drones. We're all, we're, all, we're, all ninja, we're all ninja kung fu movie fans, right? Of course. Sure. We all we all love a classic Shaw Brothers or like a Wuja movie or something like that. Sure. This this moment where the like the samurai or the martial artist just like closes their eyes Focus. and like tapes right. the breast. Mm. It's mm. it's always mm. gratifying. 
Of course we do. This is really the payoff to the Peter Tingle, where he even is like, I'm just going to call it the Peter Tingle, because that's what it's been called. Not to doubt himself, and it's great. Uh, of course, de- Desperate, uh, Beck tells all the drones to fire on his position and ends up taking a bullet to the gut, or so we think. We don't know, but it's all still an illusion. Uh, as Peter kind of walks up to him, Beck's like, no, 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 Peter, no, 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 and then Peter gets the tingle one more time and grabs over to the to the right where nothing is, but it's realized that uh, Beck is actually holding a gun to his head. He's not Ooh, how did you know it was the blue arrow? You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. know what I mean. And he says, you can't trick me anymore. Uh, and he takes back Edith and cancels all the drone strikes. Uh, but he says that in a really weird way. And you're like, why would you phrase it like that? And that's yeah. in the, a little bit of a critique on this movie. I'm like, who would say execute them all? No, just send them all back. It's like, execute them all. It's like, oh, that's kind of weird. Uh, but Peter asks Beck. I want you to kill innocent people right now, Edith. I, Peter Parker, am the one saying this. What a strange passphrase. Yeah. <laughs> Voice authentication, authenticated. Uh, Peter asks Beck how he could do all of this, and he says, you'll see, Peter, people need to believe, and nowadays they'll believe anything. And it's like, oh, that's ominous and, and foreshadowing. Uh, Beck's man, William, grabs the video of all this and absconds. Peter runs to MJ and hugs her. Uh, he drops, she drops the mace uh, that she brought for protection, and it's a very cute scene. Happy gives her, uh, excuse me, he gives... Peter, the Black Dahlia, to give to her, uh, which is now in pieces. Uh, Peter tries to explain his grand plan to her, and she says, I don't care about any of that, and kisses him. Uh, and then uh, she Their kisses are so cute. Oh, They're gosh. such cute little kid kisses. Uh, I, I do like the part where he shows her the Black Dahlia, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's in pieces. So he goes, I actually like it better in pieces. He goes, it's the Black Dahlia. She goes, yeah, I like the murders. And then he says, I really like you. She says, I really like you too. And they kiss again. And then MJ heads back uh, to, to the rest of the class, but she picks up the mace again just in case. And it's, it's very awkward a, and very cute. It's just a different vibe, but I'll tell you what. The the bond is there. Yeah. The bond is there. It's not a sexy bond. It doesn't have to be. But it's yeah. just, it's so good. Love it's it. It's so good. Nobody's getting – no. yeah, exactly. It's Question. Question for you guys. Sure. Do you think – that we'll get a Mary Jane in the MCU. That is mm. a sexy supermodel. No. I don't think so. I think we're beyond that at this point. We might get a Gwen, but we'll I don't get a think Gwen. we have our MJ. Right. I don't think but we get MJ. But MJ is MJ. sort of that combination of both of them, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's really smart. She's, you know, but and she's not what the original Kirsten Dunst MJ was. That's This, this is where that. Tim will say, and I love you for saying this every time, Tim. What do people need to read if they don't understand where this version of MJ comes from? Oh, I need to read? Yeah. It's Ultimate Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man, yeah. baby. Yeah. Need to watch. I need to keep always saying Spectacular Spider-Man. MJ, I think they do the supermodel thing right in that iteration of it all. But, yo, everybody, read Ultimate Spider-Man. Watch Spectacular Spider-Man. Let's go. Uh, Happy meets up with Nick and Maria until, and then when they ask where Peter is, he says, I need to speak with him. He says, he'll call you. And then back at the airport, back home, uh, mm-hmm. Peter and MJ hold hands. And Peter asks MJ if anyone else has figured out he's Spider-Man. And she says, nobody pays attention to you. <laughs> also, <laughs> MJ, just saying the thing. Just, She's just saying the thing. Deep cuts here. Cutting cut to the core of me. Uh, also, Ned and Betty uh, broke up, sadly. Uh, but in Flash, uh, gets picked up by his butler, which is actually sad, too. And he says, it is yeah, a sad moment, it. right? Oh, it's really sad, yeah. I, yeah, like, I, I'm hoping we get more Flash, but I don't think that there's going to be room for it in No Way Home. But I'm hoping that at some point we, we do get some follow-ups to this because that is some dark shit. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that Ned is more – talks about his breakup in a, like, 
like he's a 35 year old man that's gone through like couples counseling. Yeah. Like they're so good. This is what I'm talking about. Where like this whole relationship, like it's so so good because they just have this entire adult relationship throughout the whole. Oh, it's good. And then we have this great moment where. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go for it. Go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, and in the comics, of course, like Ned and Betty are a thing for a very long time, and their relationship is incredibly tumultuous and unhealthy. And so this happening in this movie is like a real nice happy ending yeah. that Ned and Betty didn't get in the comic books, and I love that. Uh, May picks up Peter at the airport, and then uh, and then we get this great little monologue where Peter's like, "Listen, I'm tired of of, of all these lies. I'm tired of everyone hiding of, of hiding. I just need to know." And it cuts to him, and he's sat happy and May on the couch, and he's like, "Are you two dating?" <laughs> and then it so, cuts to them. And they're apparently not on the same page about their relationships. Which I love, because May is definitely like, May, we saw in the first one, May's got dudes hanging all over her. Yeah, May's a commodity for sure. She's not not ready to settle just yet, but I think she does like happy more that she's letting on. Yeah, I I love this for multiple reasons, because I I do think that it, now I've seen it a couple times, I'm like, all right, I first wrote it off like, oh, I don't love that she's just over it. I don't think she's over it. I no. think it's a power trip. I no. think she's. I, I think they're I think still she's together. I wanted to find it. And that's cool. But I really love the setup for this scene because it is so reminiscent of the end of Iron Man One, where Tony Stark's given the uh, press conference mm-hmm. and he's just like, "Oh, the deception and the this and the that." You know what? Fuck it. I am Iron Man. And mm-hmm. it's kind of set up here as if Peter is like, oh, I'm tired of the deception. I'm tired of this. I am Spider-Man. But it's not. It's like, yo, what's you going on, you what fucking lovebirds? So good. Uh, of course, they start bickering back and forth. And he's like, I don't have time for this. I got to go. I have a date. Uh, of course, his date is with MJ. He swings over to her and he says, are you ready? You're going to love this. And I like MJ her. I scene. like her text on the way over. I'm sorry. But no. I just want to point out that as – as they're texting, one of her texts is, "Don't text in swing." <laughs> you know that thing where you're like, where you're driving to pick up to pick up your partner, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I'm on my way. I'm on." And they're like, "Are you driving right now? Don't text me while you're driving." driving. I but love I, this. I do love also that that he's texting and he loses the phone for a second and bounces off a truck. <laughs> and grabs it. Yeah, grabs it. It's funny. Uh, and of course, he says, "Are you ready? You're gonna love this." And as they take off, she starts screaming and in Perfect. Fact, does not love this, and it's. Super cool. The, the first person shots, and then like going, like actually swinging her. It's like all the wind hitting Pure her. Pure fear. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, she's Such an inversion of like all that stuff, where it's just like Lois Lane goes flying with Superman, and like mm-hmm. everything in every superhero movie is always like, "Let me show you the world as I experience it," and they're like, "Oh, I love you even more now." And it's like this shit is terrifying. Terrifying. Do not bring me here. This is garbage. Like. <laughs> And I love, by the way, that you hear her scream just as the credits roll with the song, the Go-Go song, Vacation, which is perfect. Oh, it's so perfect, right? Like, first one had Blitzkrieg bought by the Ramones. This movie also features a Ramones song, uh, I Want to Be Your Boyfriend. But uh, the the, the cut to the credits, Vacation, it's like, dude, they, they knew what they were doing, and they fucking nailed it. Love the visual style of this one as well. Uh, of course, we get to the mid-credit sequence, and they finish swinging at MJ. She does not hold back. She's like, I never want to do that ever again. <laughs> it was good. It was good. I never want to do it again. Uh, Peter, uh, of course, bounces right in time just to watch a news story about Beck's death. 
uh, quote, Spider-Man attacked me for some reason. Beck, of course, had this whole thing planned. He says, into the camera, Spider-Man attacked me for some reason. He said he's the only one who can be Iron Man. Of course, the video was uh, launched on the controversial website called thedailybugle.com, but that's not mm. all. That's it's not even awesome. .com. It's uh, .net. They didn't yeah. get the .com. Uh, my favorite thing about it is hey. fucking J. Jonah Jameson didn't get the .com. Oh! I'm getting the .com. How embarrassing. It's Who the fuck is talking right now? <laughs> Uh, but of course, that's all. Uh, the video also reveals that Spider-Man's real name is, in fact, Peter Parker, and it ends with Peter going, "What the fuck?" And it, of course, it cuts uh. right off, just like the first one did. As we go to the real credits, at the end of which uh, we get Nick and Maria, who are really Scroll from Captain Marvel, <laughs> and he calls the real Nick Fury, who's on some sort of spaceship somewhere, and he's just putting everyone to work. Uh, Fury, of course, just gets in some rays and break time, and then tells everyone to get back to work. I don't understand the significance of this, Tim. I mean, it's him. It's him working for Sword. This is up in space. This is uh, the only other time we've seen a reference to this so far has been uh, end of one division. We see the scrolls coming to get. Monica Rambeau, and they're like, hey, you got some jobs up there. The, the big guy wants you, referring to Nick Fury. No, oh, cool. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the fake out of this one, though, is if you're a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, when he's sitting and he thinks he's on the beach, there's a whole thing with Coulson. Coulson oh, doesn't know that, that he died. Yeah. Uh, and Coulson thinks that he was on a vacation in Bermuda. And there are like th- – or Tahiti. Sorry, it's Tahiti. And there are like th- – three seasons where he doesn't know what Tahiti is. And Tahiti was this weird, horrible government project that brought him back from the dead in a horrible, like horrific way. And so when you see uh, Nick Fury on the beach here like this, you're actually really worried that something terrible has happened to Nick Fury. Uh, and then they just pull out and it's like, nah, man, everything's good. He's just, he got a promotion. He got a dope video wall, man. Who doesn't want that? He got one of those Carpino Brothers specials, you know what I mean? You gotta love it, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I also, hey everybody, by the way, how's it going? I also want to point out um, that I'm happy that they were scroll because in the moment I go, there's no way that they're that these two people are being tricked by some dude with Mm. holographic technology, and it makes it. It makes it feel bad. Like, you're watching, you're like, this doesn't feel like something that would really happen. And I'm glad that this is a way to kind of explain that away because I never felt like that was a satisfying enough thing to happen. Yeah, and that's and something he, that Nick mentioned in the in the beginning of, the, of, of this is, like, the characters are just a little off. And I think Tim put it as, like, was it, was it just, like, check cashing? Like, they were just, like, they weren't into this yeah. one or something. And the more you get into the movie, the more you're like, oh, this all – this all tracks. I'm glad they all that this they fucking explain everything. These guys. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Yeah, set up good And if you turn your camera on, you can. Oh, no, I'm all good. Hey, Spider Boy, get on cam. <laughs> I, have, I, have the, I have the lights off. I got everything. Andy, I'm sorry, you, you missed the part where we said we all absolutely 100 percent committed to getting Spider Boy tattoos. Like at the end of Lord of the Rings, we all got tattoos. We're getting tattoos. Oh, okay, cool. I'll pick you up yeah. in about 15 Spider- minutes. Spider Boys, baby. Andy, before we get to a little thing I like to call haiku and review. What did you think about Far From Home? You're coming hot off of the Twitch.tv slash Xbox stream. Ooh. Um, I saw Sandy Cortez. I love Ooh. it. It seems like you all are kind of on the same page as me with you just saying that everybody just kind of felt off. It, it, it certainly didn't feel like the heart was there in this movie, even though I think that there are a lot of great moments. Overall, it just felt like characters are making a, not even – a 
looking past this sort of Nick Fury and Maria Hill situation, because they are scrolls and that's explained away, it just feels like characters are making really dumb decisions uh, in this movie that don't feel realistic in a way, and, and it's just kind of like bumbling comedy of errors with the whole glasses in the bus. It's just like, it just felt really silly in a lot of moments, and I was not a huge fan of that. Um, On a scale of one to Sam Raimi, how much are they not reacting like people to you? Oh, man, yeah, that's pretty good, actually. I didn't even think of that. It's, cl- it's I'll go Sam Ray, and then, like, I didn't love the movie, unfortunately, this, this time around. I, I don't think it's a bad movie by any means, um, but I think the movie is largely saved, and my enjoyment is largely saved because I just love Jake Gyllenhaal. I think he's mm. just such a, he's such a dick and a douchebag, and the that quick moment turn where he reveals himself as Mysterio and, and the whole plat, uh, the whole, I was going to say plan and plot, and I said plat. Um, the whole plan revealed is just so cool and like yeah. awesome, and I just love all the stupid little uh, flashbacks to what was actually really happening with all the employees, former employees of Tony Stark. Um, yeah, this movie I still feel is like a little bit underwhelming, unfortunately. Hmm. Well, Andy, we have a two-hour podcast for you to watch where we don't fully agree with you, but we do agree with a lot of points oh, okay. you just brought up. So you can check it out, youtube.com slash kind of funny. Oh, great. Uh, but before we do that, Andy, please hit me with a little thing I like to call haiku and review. Seven syllables in the middle. You need five for the first and last line. If you're not poetic, no need to fret it. Haikus don't need to rhyme. Haiku in review. Haiku in review. You can go to patreon.com slash kindoffunny to write your review in haiku form, just like Eric Myers did, bringing a banger here. The last thrown fight, though, it makes my Peter tingle. Oh, no. Now I'm Nick. (laughs) (laughs) That had everything. That had everything. I like that he he knew that I was going to make those jokes. Mm -hmm. All of of the material sequences are badass. So I was shocked that you did not make more of those jokes about the Peter. <laughs> I'm trying. To, I'm trying to clean it up a little bit no, for the kids not, out there. Not. Who the fuck is talking? <laughs> <laughs> now, Andrew Feister writes in uh, with the multi-part one here. Planes are just fly bus. No alcohol. Now no fuss. MJ. Treasonous. A drive-by sack tap. Careful. Water filled with crap. Knocked out with a slap. Live stream from London. Hide before life is near done. The drone is outrun. Where are mom and dad? Oh, now he looks really sad. Feel bad for the lad. A lot of talk about Flash here. This is essentially a Flash in review, which I really appreciate. We had a four-part haiku just about Flash from Andrew Feister. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. That's all we got. Andy, where do you come down on the sack? Uh, how How did he phrase it? Sack top. Sack tap. Where do you come down on sack taps? Oh, I mean, they're it's just a, a jubilant way to get along with friends. <laughs> you just couldn't, oh, don't couldn't don't agree more. Couldn't don't agree more. Wow, wow. Mm-hmm. I had no idea the two of you were just chaotic evil. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you at the next party. <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, anyways, this has been Spider-Man in review rewatch. Uh, the long journey has finally come to an end. Next week, it's the big one. Spider-Man. No. Way home. Wow. Oh, Spider Boys, thank you so much for having me for this oh. series. I love you all, now and I love Spider Man. I think we all, each and every one of us, get a little tiny, cute little spider 
right on our upper thigh, like right on the pelvic bone. How mm-hmm. do you feel about that? I'm in. Cool. Okay. I'm cool. Okay. I'm cool with that. <laughs> Spider Boys, baby. Let us know in the comments what your rankings of the Spider-Man movies are after rewatching them all again for the upteenth time. Uh, I love you all. I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk about these movies. In 10 years, we'll be back. We'll be back. Probably won't be 10 years. It'll probably be earlier. But until then, Carboni, where can people find you? Uh, I'm everywhere on the internet at a Carboni, except for on Twitch, where I'm at Anthony Carboni. Twitch, you cowards, it's mine. Give it back to me. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 a.m. Pacific, uh, me and Sage Ryan are on twitch.tv slash Pixel Circus, doing a morning news show called It's Too Early. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and every Friday, you can listen to my uh, science comedy podcast with Jeff Kanata. That is called We Have Concerns over at wehaveconcerns.com. Love to see it. Andy, it was great having you on the show. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks for swinging by. What's up, guys? Welcome back. To kind of funny's Batman in review. That's right. We are ranking and reviewing every theatrically released Batman movie. As always, I'm Tim Geddes, joined by one of the coolest dudes in video games, Greg Miller. Things change. The Natural Rifle, Andy Cortez. I'm licking the microphone. That's what you uh, like Kevin, big dog, yeah, Kevin Coelho. What happened to Vicky? And the producer <laughs> slash seducer, Nick Scarpino. Mistletoe can be deadly, Greg, if you eat it. <laughs> yeah. Daddy, daddy, a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. <laughs> How far would we go if we were in the office right now? Uh, we <laughs> How far would we go is the question I never want Greg Miller to ask, ever. All the way. Just like my Chinese tailor once said, all the way. All the way. All the way. Yes, that is true. That is true. Very bizarre, but true. That's a uh, good poll from Game Over Breakfast <laughs> Show episode five. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is Kind of Funny's In Review, where every week we take two different franchises and rank and review them. Uh, starting this week, we are doing Batman on Mondays. And on Thursdays, we are doing The Conjuring yeah. Cinematic Universe In Review. Very exciting stuff. Episode one of that debuts on Thursday. You can watch it live. Uh, for Batman on twitch.tv slash kindoffunnygames. You can watch later on youtube.com slash kindoffunny. Uh, you can also listen to it as a podcast. Just search your favorite podcast service for kindoffunny reviews. If you want to get the show ad-free, you can go to patreon.com slash kindoffunny, just like our Patreon producers. Guys, you want to take a guess? Momo and Al. Momo and Al, man. Muhammad Muhammad and Al Tribesman. Jeff Bezos didn't make the cut this month. Maybe Fucking next month. cowardly bitch. You yeah. know what I mean? Damn. He's been saying it for years. He'd support us on Patreon, and he keeps flaking on it. Mm-hmm. There's probably, mm-hmm. like, a button that Jeff Bezos could hit that just kills all of us. Yeah. Damn. You know what I mean? Like, he's got that power now where Somebody. he could probably assassinate all of us. Uh, Nick, I'm, an, I'm an Amazon Prime member, so I don't think he should turn on his audience like that. And remember, I mean, if you have Amazon Prime people, you have Twitch Gaming Prime, whatever they call it now. Prime I can give you a free 30-day subscription. <laughs> Use it on us. Kind of funny games. How are you? It's all true. Today we are talking about Batman Returns, released on June 19, 1992, directed once again by Tim Burton. Music by Danny Elfman, a budget of $80 million, which is over double the last movie, which was $35 million. It's 
so weird because you watch this movie. I, 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 I'll be honest. I've never watched the 89 and then immediately watched Batman Returns. But am I crazy in feeling like the 89 just feels like a bigger movie than this? You're crazy. Really? <laughs> but, I don't know yeah, why. The zoo I don't know. alone. Well, What's that? Like, it didn't look well, good. Well, no, the zoo was great, but they kept coming back. Like, they got a lot of use out of that, like, Gotham Square with the steps and oh, the shoes. Yeah, yeah. Like Christmas tree. Every third scene, we just started <laughs> cutting back to that. And I was like, what? Why Maybe. wouldn't they use, like, some other practical locations? I guess I'm I right there with you. 50% of the Warner Brothers lot was taken up with Gotham, Gotham City sets. I'm with you, Nick, of it feels different. I've never watched them back-to-back like this. And that was the thing, you know, as a, a, not a, a, a regular old, you know, movie expert or anything. Watching this one right off the back of 89, I was trying to figure out why I was surprised that this one, I like Batman Returns, obviously, I, I, but I, I, this one wasn't playing as well for me on the heels of Batman 89. Mm-hmm. And part of it, the, the only thing I could come up with was that for the limitations they had in 89, it made it feel like it was its own world. Yeah. Whereas this very much felt like trying to pull 89 into the real world, if that makes sense. Not not in terms of like, hey, here's like real world ramifications, but in terms of the way it looked and the way it was shot. It didn't feel like as stylized and yeah. well, unique as 89 did. They changed production designers because I think um, I think Bob Ring, well, not Bob Ringwald, whoever was the production designer for 89 wasn't available for this. So they changed it and they changed the aesthetic a little bit of Gotham yeah. and they made it way less... Um, I think way less grimy and way less colorful. And I, and I always thought when I was a kid, I was like, that's not as fun. Now, now looking back, I kind of appreciate some of those choices, specifically the ones with color, where we only really ever see color in certain specific instances, like Catwoman's lips or things like that. But um, this movie just felt like, it, it just, to me, felt like we kept coming back to the same four or five sets, and it wasn't, I don't know, it's very weird. And I think one of the reasons why this doesn't work for me as well as 89 is because 89 Batman... To me, a large part of the, the, the power of that movie was about the spectacle. It was about seeing Batman on screen for the first time in this iteration, in the black costume, and treating it a little less campy than – or way less campy than the 66. This one doesn't, for me, do anything more than that as far as character development is concerned. And so I think when you watch Batman Returns, you kind of feel like you're watching a rehashing of the 89 Batman with just a slightly better suit that has a thinner cowl in it. Um, well, a big part of this one, I think, for me, that, you know, again, stacking them up toe by toe to toe is something I've, of course, heard adults say many times about Batman Returns, but I hadn't re- realized coming off of 89 like this, of course, being a child watching all these, is that this really doesn't even feel like a Batman movie in a lot of ways. Like, we get so little Batman. But 89 Batman is great because, hey, look, and, and granted, love it or hate it, Michael Keaton's interpretation of the bat- of Batman, right. I do feel is unique and interesting, and he is this twisted fucking weirdo that lives in the thing, and here, like, we don't really get that, right? We get the one date with Selena that feels almost like a carbon copy of Vicky's. It doesn't go in the same direction, which is, I think, maybe why they do it, to play with it, to show what the relationships yeah. are different and stuff. But even then, that's the only time I feel like we really get in his head this time. Whereas Not I a whole we had lot of Alfred. Not a whole lot of Alfred in this one, huh? Uh, he pretty Alfred. much opens the film after, you know, when we get back to present-day Gotham. So. I, I will say that, though, uh, compared to the 89, I feel like 89 really overachieved in what it was trying to do. And this movie is severely underachieved. Um, like, I I don't know what kind of – in my in my head going into this movie, I thought this movie was going to be a lot less campy and a lot less cheesy. Um, I thought this was, like, the darkest fucking movie ever, <laughs> watching it as a kid. Like, watching it as a kid, I just had the images of the that weird, like, cat statue, whatever the fuck that thing is, and then Penguin's gross-ass black ink mouth bullshit. Yeah. Like – that's all I had memories of as a kid. Going into this, watching it last night, um, man, like the that 
cheesy fucking fight scene in the street with the with the ghouls or with the, with the gang of people, gang. and he like the 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 and it like follows the battery. I was like, this is yeah. a, this is awful. Like, I, I don't <laughs> like a lot of this. It's weird because some of the movie feels way darker than the first one, and then some of it feels way campier than the first one. So it's like I always remember this one being like, oh, this is the darker of all of the movies, and obviously, um, I think a lot of audiences when this movie first came out agreed, as did a lot of the executives at Warner Brothers, because surprise, surprise, Tim Burton didn't get invited back for the next one, and instead they went in a completely different direction, which was like neon camp, uh, which we'll get into when we watch Batman Forever. But this, to me, like, watching it again, I'm like, whoa, Andy, you're spot on. That moment where he, where he throws the battering, it's so cheesy and the so poorly done. <laughs> but then you have another moment where, like, he's got he's gone and collected all of the babies and the firstborns from all around, and they're in cages, and he's going to drown them in a vat of, like, toxic acid, but and like, then ends up dying with just black shit coming out of his mouth, and it's horrifying. I, I feel like both those things that you called out, like the, the, the battering, and, and like, I'm agreeing with what you're saying where it's like the fact that you know he looks at it and presses the button and puts on four icons for oh like there's four people this is exactly where they are yeah it's so dumb and like childish and then the cut of the dog jumping like the battering is clearly at like face level to the woman right (laughs) and then the dog jumps dog jumps to mid shin yeah and it just has it and she's just like hmm and it's just one of those things where it's like oh that's like What's the direction? And, and What's the like, direction here? Yeah. It's one of those things that like takes you out of the moment when you're like, oh, okay, I guess like a, a bit of levity is what they wanted there. Like and I then, expected, I expected Bruce Wayne to look at the camera and go, like, ah, yeah. you yeah. really thought like it was just weird and then, with his stupid ass duck lips. Fucking Michael Keaton, guys. I think hey, you guys are insane. That's how he was born. Oh, chill. Wait, hold on. No, I was done. born. I wasn't yeah. done. Uh, so the uh, and then we have the scene with the train, which is also like a fucked up scene where it's like, oh, they're all getting kidnapped. But the solution is Batman just comes in in two seconds, fixes the problem, and it's done. Dude, that's this movie yeah, to a T. I remember I was coming back and watching it again and again for in review, because I think last Christmas me and Jen might have put it on. It's one of those. It's a, Batman, Return, Batman Returns, I feel like, is a classic in the background movie. You're on, it's on TBS. You throw it up, and you're, you're only half paying attention, if that even. Like, watching this and, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, like, all right, cool. They frame Batman for murdering the Ice Princess. The Batmobile's driven around the streets and, like, almost killed all these people and killed some people, for sure. It's done all these things, and it's like, man, can't wait to see how... Co- oh, it's just the next scene. The next scene is Cobblepot giving a speech. Batman plays the CD, and that's over with. We're on to the next thing. He's kidnapped these kids. He's got them in cages. All right, the next scene is that being... Or not, that is actually the same scene where that is happening is where it gets foiled by Batman dropping down. Like, yeah, I mean, you, you expect when you're kidnapping, like, all of these kids to see them, like, dangling over the vat of toxic acid and then Batman having to, like... Make Make the choice between that or Catwoman or whatever, but no, yeah, he just does that. Also, Oswald Cobblepot, Penguin, the things he said, yes, while damning to his political career, doesn't necessarily let Batman off the hook for like sure. rampaging around the city and the, in the and like. I don't think the point was like I killed the Ice Queen, not Batman. I think people were like, the Batman fuck? I don't know. It's very <laughs> murky. Batman yeah. probably had a Gotham Gazette article after this where he gave some, he dropped some stuff on knowledge on them about what really happened. Like, oh it makes sense, that's how it happened. I imagine so, so. it had a box office of two hundred and eighty two point eight million, uh, which was less than the four hundred and eleven million that uh Batman eighty nine had, but it still led it to being the third highest grossing movie in America in nineteen ninety two and the sixth highest grossing worldwide uh ever. 
total at that point. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like that's indicative of, though, like sequels of that time for, for movies, like historically didn't do as well, I think, as the original movie. I don't think it was until Marvel figured out the formula and then Fast and Furious figured out the formula where, like, oh, subsequent sequels are all going to, like, outdo the one prior to it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that, 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 well, I remember that being slightly disappointing for people when it came out. A runtime of two hours and six minutes, which is exactly the same as Batman 89 which is kind of interesting. Uh, the film was nominated for two Academy Awards, Best Visual Effects and Best Makeup. Uh, man, this is such a weird one for me where I do not agree with you guys at all, and I think that this one is so much better than the first one. Having said that, last week I compared the first one to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man, and I think this is very comparable to Spider-Man 2, where it's like, yeah, it is. It is much, much better, and I think a lot of it has to do with it actually committing to its tone and style, which for this one is extremely dark Tim Burton-ness, with a lot of camp, and they don't shy away from it. They don't try to pretend it's not campy. It is campy. Yeah. And the first one, I feel like, kind of didn't commit to the camp, and so when Prince was playing and the Joker and his goons were doing stuff, it always just felt weird and off-putting. Uh, and Michael Keaton as Batman just is bizarre and doesn't work for me ever. And I think with this movie, it's like it builds on that world in a way that, like, we're, we're – we have to build off that foundation so we have what we have. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you add Catwoman and, and Penguin, I thought they were a lot more interesting than Joker was in 89. And I thought the fight scenes were a lot better and more fun to watch because, like, it actually felt like Batman was moving around in a way, not just fumbling around and falling, which well, was nice. It, it's interesting. it is interesting because I think that you looking at the costumes, and, again, never watched them back-to-back, that costume is so much lighter on him looking. And the cowl itself is so much thinner that he could actually – like move his head a little bit yeah. and, so, and he doesn't look like he's a bobblehead running down the street with his giant cow and these mm-hmm. tiny legs. Oh, I got a whole bunch of facts about the costume that I put together here. The Batman costume weighs 55 pounds. Uh, several modifications were made to the bat suit, including the color scheme and chest plate. At the request of Keaton, a zipper was also added to the pants. Batman doesn't wear boots in the movie. They're Air Jordan 6s. Yeah, they are. <laughs> oh, connected to God. an upper, uh, which gives them like a boot-like look. But yeah, they're actual Jordans so he can move around a bit more, which is... Cool, but yeah, man, like this this movie is it's so freaking bizarre to me that it exists, and I think that this, this Batman world, this Tim Burton Batman world, is so weird that in the first movie, it's kind of like set up that it's his first real public appearance as Batman, <clears throat> and then this movie's called Batman Returns, but it doesn't really feel like he's returning at all. No, it but doesn't it feel like, like he went that, away. Every, this feels more like when Batman would walk around the city in the 66 Batman, and was like, hey, Batman, how you doing, man? Did you get that package I sent you? Because he literally just walks in, and Gordon's like, hey, Batman, so this is what we got going on here, and he just talks to them like he would. Looks like the third game's back in town. We'll see. Yeah, well, and but nobody makes any effort to like arrest him at all. He's just it's just accepted that Batman is here. And I always you thought know, that was kind of weird. Why do they arrest him at the well, end? They, he gave the signal. They knew, you know. Yeah, they were friends at the end of the last one. Um, but what I do want to point out is that I, I've always thought, and I still think that the standout performance in this is Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. I think that you like, don't think it's Devito. I think Devito is great. I think, and and I do love the fact that I think Tim Burton on this one was trying to go a little deeper with the characters and trying. You know, famously, he you know, like you said last week, Tim, he wasn't too big of a fan of what what the eighty nine Batman ended up being. So I think partially he took this movie to sort of fix some of those issues he saw in the original film. Um, and one of them I think is really kind of nailing some of the darker motivations for Penguin. 
And when it starts off, like, you get a sense of why Penguin would be a little pissed off because his parents floated him down the river like Moses, for Christ's sake, right? Like, they, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> they, they, they basically threw him out. And shout out to Pee Wee Herman or Paul Rubens for, for being the, um, the dad there, which is <laughs> Oh, my God. That actually was him? Yeah. Yeah, it was Paul Rubens. So because they had known each other from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh, my God. Yeah. I can't wait to tell Joey and Gia. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's him. We were saying, like, dude, that hell it looks like him. Oh, look <laughs> at the Jordan. Yeah, I pulled up the yeah. Jordan. Sixes, baby. <laughs> that's funny. But, you know, but I also, I just, I do love that. And I think when I was a kid and, and even now, I just, I'm so drawn to that duality of the relationship between Catwoman and Batman and how, how they do have those moments where they're like, they're fighting, but they understand each other and they respect each other and they're attracted to each other because of that, because they are kindred spirits, even though she's sort of, her motivations are leading her down a much darker path than his. And I love that scene, even though I made fun of it earlier today with Greg, but I love that scene in the ballroom where they're the only ones not wearing masks and everyone else is dressed yeah. up with masks and they have that moment where they realize who each other is or who each other How are. on the nose is all of that stuff, though? And oh, again, totally. it goes totally. into what this movie is, which is campy and, and, like, there's no subtlety. But, yeah, them not wearing masks is like, come on. And then they need to back it all up with the dialogue over and over and over and yeah, have I mean, these weird reveals. Like, yeah. What bothers me is this Batman is so fucking stupid. Bruce Wayne is stupid. <laughs> like, we're here in the audience being told all this stuff. He's not figuring anything out. Like, the moment he doesn't figure he out. Feeling, he had a feeling about Penguin. He had a feeling. <laughs> okay. He's he like, 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 why do you care so much about this new guy? Are you worried about being usurped? I'm like, well, no, well, Alfred, he's a weird Penguin person I, that came up in the zoo. I think he's got ulterior <laughs> motives. I did like that one little moment of sincerity where he's like, huh, I hope he does find his parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there, there's that moment, and there's another. Just again, I think we. Uh, I forget. Oh, it was the. It was similar to the moment where um, in the first one, it was like you weigh a little bit more than 108 pounds. There's the moment where he flicks the button, and he goes, "Huh, that didn't work." <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you get like terrifying. That's the thing about it. Where I think in this one again, I think. Uh, and granted, it's getting into the character and doing stuff. This one, I feel like. Michael Keaton's performance is way more Michael Keaton. Yeah. And I don't know if that sounds weird or stupid, but, like, I feel like at least in 89, he was this more, like, tortured Batman or whatever, this Bruce Wayne who was more in between. And, again, I don't think he nails, like, being the Dark Knight and being this professional fighter or any of the crap we know Batman to be, right? But I thought that worked, whereas this one, again, yeah, the flipping of the switches, some of the stuff he's reacting, and back to Tim's point of, yeah, he doesn't, like, at least in Batman 89, like, right, he cracks the code in terms with, with Alfred of, like, how Joker's uh, stuff Kevin is working and yeah. saves the city, right? Yeah. Like, in this one, yeah, he, he can't really put mo- anything together. Yeah, but even then, even in 89, there's the scene where he's at the city hall or whatever up the stairs, and he's just, like, looking around, and, like, these mimes are attacking, and it's like, what? What what could be happening here? It's well, no, so again, I think bizarre, he misinterpreted man. that scene. The scene was that he saw the person he had killed as Batman and was, like, in shock that the person was back. Like, he saw Jack Napier and was like, what the fuck is going on? Bruce Wayne and shouldn't was, be in shock. He should deal with things, handle things. Like, it's just a boss, such a bizarre He wasn't going to get shot. He's wearing the fucking shoulder pads. We already went over that. Andy, <laughs> what was the safety mechanism? All you needed when you left the house in the 80s was what? Exactly. Well, well hold, first pads. off, you would use the shoulder, shoulder pads. That's, that's the number one thing, uh, number one uh, way to be safe in the 80s. To be safe from what, Nick? What are the visors and quicksand. quicksand and children? <laughs> quicksand, yeah. And baby boomers. If those kids tried to climb up on you, they would get to that like cliff that went upside down and just you know they'd fall just off. Like on the yeah. Just like Kevin. Just like Kevin. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Exactly. That's yeah. why we keep you around. We love you. Plot time. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Gotham City. We'll say 30-some years before anything you know is fucking going on in Gotham City. And we're at the co- the Cobblepot residence, right? They're going to have a baby. This should be the most exciting day of their lives. 
but it's not. Because this wife's going to give birth to a butterball penguin, all right? It's got flippers for hands. Pee Wee Herman's its dad. I think Pee Wee would already got caught jacking off in a theater at this point. Big yeah. big trouble. Yeah. Big trouble in general for the Cobblepot family. Right? It was a porn theater. Greg, it is you, very dark, right? Greg, do you think that it the parents at, at any point... Just made an important distinction to make. It's not like he walked right into a Broadway show and was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say musical theater. You yeah, know, he, 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 he watched the hairspray. Was like, oh, that's a little bit of the peewee. He wasn't watching <laughs> Big. <He wasn't. laughs> um, Greg, do you think the parents of Cobblepot knew that when he grew up, he was gonna look like a Thanksgiving turkey? Like, just, just the way you know when you buy a Thanksgiving turkey, that's yeah. how Cobblepot kind of looked. Yeah, yeah no, 100%. Oh, right. I mean, I don't think they knew that exactly, that that would be his final form kind of thing, but they did know. At some point, if you're Pee-wee, you got to look at your wife and be like, did you have sex with a penguin? Yeah. Like, what led Ooh. to this? Did, you know, I mean, like, you look you... over at the mailman and he is a penguin, and you're like, aha. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There, you know. there are a lot of questions about this whole thing. And, like, I, I appreciate this movie because straight from the get-go, this whole villain origin story, it's, like, it's everything I need. It's stupid as shit. But it's, like, it sets it up. I love that we only see shadows and, like, bits and pieces of Penguin for a long time in this movie. Sure. And it's, sure. it's a fun Tim Burton 80s movie style reveal. Like, I like that stuff. Um, him floating up and, like, being greeted by a bunch of penguins. What the fuck? But like, I love it, them. and especially yeah. where it ends, <laughs> penguins with rockets attached to it, mind yeah. control, and all the shit that is so vaguely explained. It's so fun. It's so stupid. Is but my question <laughs> to you guys, <laughs> explained yeah. it all. <laughs> no, no, that's, what, vaguely that's what I mean. Yeah, no, no, no. It's just so like they just they're like wait. Like at one point, I, I think I helmet. This is the first time I watched this movie. This is the first time I watched this movie where I was like, wait, do they have some sort of mental implant in their brain that's allowing him to control them? Because I just thought he just was telling the penguins to march into Gotham Square. I think that they were just really well trained because if you notice, not only do they have little helmets, they've got like a little targeting thing that comes out. They're making the decisions. On who they're yeah. shooting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They, they have a bird. I don't have a go. I do not have a clear shot of the target. Pop a bird. I am negative go. I'm a skier. I, I got to imagine that there's like a an FN two one eight seven sort of penguin that's like, nah. I can't. Yeah, I, I won't do this. this. this is wrong. People fed us. We can't turn on them. They fed us at one point. Oh, See, I, I, it was remote controlled though, like because then that man. It was sending a signal that was like, go here. And then the signal was like, mm. "Come back." There was that, also whatever. a signal for shoot because he. We could have, yeah. We get it. There could be different reads on how deep <laughs> the penguin control went. <laughs> but my question to you guys is: by maybe two thirds through this movie, we're looking at Penguin, and I'm like trying to figure out his outfit. And I'm not talking about his fancy get-up and all that stuff. I'm he's, talking about just, like, his basic jump. outfit. Long John. That, he, yeah. that he's in this, like, long John-looking thing. It looks very, like, a baby onesie. Is this the same baby onesie that no. he was left in? And he's no. thrown with him over time. That's not how the clothing works. I don't know. I don't know. I read a fact that says different. I do want to say, though, like, um, well, I'll get there when we get there. Okay, let's keep on with the plot. The penguin's So, yeah, again, they give birth to this fucking penguin, and they're like, this sucks. And so they put him in a cage because they see that he sucks, and he's got penguin flipper hands, and they're drinking martinis, which really look delicious, and then he eats the fucking cat. So, again, it's not that they gave birth. You know, a lot of people are all like, oh, woe is me. These people suck. You know, they're rich, and they had a baby with some deformity. They should have loved it. They, that's not accurate. They gave birth to a literal monster. Like, I feel for these people. You know what I mean? I feel for Pee Wee both as this actor and when he jerked off in that Broadway show. You know what I mean? Like, these are things you should be allowed to do and yeah, not have to deal with. Movie, you ever seen the show Wicked? <laughs> Wicked. Well, I was whacking it. it. <laughs> Anyways, so, though, they decide the only thing they can do is throw this baby in the goddamn river. You know what I mean? It's time to get rid of this thing. That's so they go out for a huh? 
Yeah, well, you know, they, I'm sure they tried other things. Things get left on the cutting room floor. They probably tried to burn it, and it just going to get burned, you know? So they go out there, and they're running through the park, and they, they see another couple with – I like this part where they're running, and then they see a couple with a baby coming at them, and they start, and they walk like, oh, Merry Christmas. Then they run again. And they get to the thing, and they toss it over the side. It flows down through the credits, and like Tim said, there's penguins there. That, whatever, running, right? that wa- running, walking, running scene, that yeah. was the first moment I was like, this is more campy than I remember it. Well, it's because the stroller clearly, like, didn't have any weight in it. So it was just getting pushed around. It's like, what the fuck, guys? But it, I will say this. There's there's a shot in the park, though, where we do see Gotham in the background. Yeah. And I do want to give a shout-out to the production design. Gotham is a lot more, like, straight and, like, cold-looking than it was dirty and gothic-looking in the in the prior world. But I think that, again, works against it in terms yeah. of building this world. Where I, I, I thought that, you know, love it or hate it, the 89 gothic, giant, towering, you know, 12,000-story buildings that were all over it made it feel fantastical Indeed. but re- real. Whereas, yeah. like, this one feels like it's trying to become more... And I know I'm using these words very loosely, especially as we head towards the Nolan trilogy, but more grounded. Like, this... Almost looks like a Gotham you could exist in. So, like, we're talking about the same set they use all the time of the tree, right? Like, outside of those two giant statues, that feels like a normal thing. Completely unlike the Fugenheim when Vicky Vale walks in and it's, like, all steampunk and crap. I'd say that's the only thing about this movie that is trying to feel a little bit realistic. Yeah, I'm not, again, I'm a not woman, at all talking about yeah. A woman has nine lives and was brought back to life by cats yes. despite yes, yes, her yes. fingers. I'm talking about Gotham City. Yeah. Like but that's, that's weird to me because, like, I, I don't get the real vibe at all. I get it's not the same gothic vibe that the 89 went for, but I think it's very much a, we're going all Burton, man. Like, this is much more a Tim Burton movie than the last one was, yeah. where it's like, I, I get the vibes of it being, like, more peewee than Edward Scissorhands, and I, I feel like, I guess, it, Scissorhands, I'd even put more towards the 89, whereas, like, peewee, the, like, weird, wacky, like, the zoo design itself, I love the scale of it and how massive and crazy it is, and then in the context of Gotham, like, I didn't get any real vibes at all, and I, I actually prefer the look of this one over here. I, I think that it's not necessarily a real versus not real. I think there's just a sterileness to this to the design here that he went for that I think is then mirrored later, and I think he did Edward's hands after this. I could be wrong, though. He might have done a movie between. But, like, you see that same level of design where it's like when we go to the mansion and Edward's hands, it's, like, kind of fucked up, gothic and decrepit. And then when we go to the suburbs, Everything it is just, like, nice. rows and rows and rows of super clean, super perfect, like, evenly packed, identical, yeah. pastel-colored houses. And I, I love that, but in Edward Scissorhands, it works because of the juxtaposition of where Edward comes from. In this, it, I think I miss the steam. I'm with Greg, where I do miss, like, I like the design of the buildings. I think they're stunning, and I think the, the city itself is beautiful when you're just looking at it. But once you're in it, it doesn't feel like there's a grime that, that necessitates a Batman to come help people from it. I, it just feels like there's one set of stairs, and everyone else just lives around it. I feel like we lost that, uh, the, you know, the, the office of the detective in the last one. Like, that look of, like, that industrial design in, like, the space. It wasn't – because, like, the city has a cool industrial look, but, like, also the, like, the individual offices kind of had – or, like, the, you know, some of the shots in that also had that same feeling. I feel like we lost that, although – We get it. I I think that they did a really good job with uh, Catwoman's apartment. Just something about, like, yeah – that we get that we get that one building. steel girder going through her apartment, yeah. and it's like a, it's this tiny little studio with a Murphy bed in it, which I was was fascinated when I was a kid. I was like, I want a studio with a Murphy bed in it right now. Um, but yeah, I think that that is her her everything with the Catwoman stuff. I think was a lot more thought out than than the rest of the city. That, not the character itself, though. <laughs> well, the character the character origins are, are silly, um, well, but I I just love how how much Michelle Pfeiffer made that her own. Where she you cannot tell if she is insane or not. 
And she's pretty insane. But like, there's moments of lucidity where yeah. where Bruce Wayne brings her back yeah. to reality, and she realizes what she's doing. But in, but she's gone crazy. I mean, she, someone tried to kill her. She's been horribly abused mentally and physically, her basically by by men, and now she's just taking her fucking vengeance on them with a whip and fury. And it's, I mean, I love how they make her move. I love that she's always flipping around and doing all that stuff. And I love the the whip work that that, that they get her to do. And have and I'll never forget like how she she whips the guns out of the cops or the security guards. Hands and she's like, he's like, don't hurt us, lady. We only make three hundred dollars. Take them less than three hundred. You're overpaid. She's like, you're overpaid. She whips <laughs> them out of the hands. They run and then she whips the thing around herself and like tucks it in. So the whips. Yeah. How many backflips can she do though? <laughs> like, unlimited. Wow. It's like your. It's like a cat. Just like a cat. I love unlimited backflips. Kevin, go get Thomas. Kevin, no. go get Thomas. No way. Uh, that is the yeah, only thing when you start making Thomas look. When you started thinking about this, you're like, how did she learn how to how to do yeah. karate? The like, cats. What? Remember the cats. The cats know how to do karate. But see, that's that's my thing about this movie is it's like it's not you don't think it's camp. It's stupid. Okay. And you're not supposed yeah. to. And it's like that's why I, like looking at Catwoman, I'm like I enjoyed it so much more than I did the Joker. Where it's like the Joker kind of felt like it was at moments trying to be real, trying to be a little bit more grounded. If he's this like fucked up serial killer, this but I was I mean, like, like this bitch is crazy. The the Joker was more real though. He was just a psychopath. Like he doesn't do anything special. Yeah, but him and his he's not even good at fighting. But the gang, nothing about that felt real. He like he cool felt jacket. real, and then they had, they had a bunch of jackets. These guys that are just like following him around with boomboxes, and it's like the thing. I told you though, like if you go bad, like me and Cool Greg are gonna be following around with boomboxes, with like you know patches that we've gotten made. <laughs> He's gonna be playing Death Angel in the boomboxes. <laughs> God Angel Death. God Angel Death. Let's jump in. Back to the modern Gotham City. Uh, it, of course, is the tree lighting ceremony here at Christmas time in Gotham City. Uh, the ice queen herself is up there, ready to hit it. She hits the button, the tree lights up. However, from a super great down that. there. <laughs> I'm an ice princess. From our ice queen. From down uh, in the sewer grace, you see the black hands out there. Uh, you know, Alfred's walking around with a bunch of presents he bought. Uh, that guy who's in everything is just the guy, is the newspaper boy in this one. And he's like, hey, Gotham, fucking penguins, Gotham, Gotham, penguins, toys. And he's like, shut up, I'm fucking Alfred. That's insane. It's insane. He's in Gilmore Girls, right? That That's dude. not a poll I can help you with, but I know he's in a lot of things. I, I do want to say this, though. Most unrealistic thing about this movie, when Alfred turns at the gutters or whatever, or at uh-huh. the, uh, what's it called? The sewer grate, the gutter. Yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. When he turns because he thinks he saw something, you didn't. You're old as fuck, Alfred. You, you, there's no way <laughs> that you heard... Like anything, it was the or- penguin. It was the penguin paws going back in. It's he like when you saw. Remember when you almost literally walked into a raccoon on the streets? That's like the same thing here. He caught it out of his peripheral. Greg, I don't want to. I don't want to just correct you, but I don't think they're paws. I think it, maybe talons, perhaps claws. Flippers. 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 They call them flippers, flippers at one point. Sure, flippers. Sure. Flippers, yeah. Yeah. But what do you do when it's wrong. a flipper that? At, well, okay. Uh, can I get the science with Kevin Jingle? Science, science, science with Kev. I'm Kevin. Kevin. Uh, Kevin, what happens, though, when the flipper is clearly a deformed hand? Now do I have to call it a, a thing? I Sometimes I call my, my, my hands paws. You know what I mean? Like, I'm using it in that kind of terminology. I don't think this is a science with Kevin kind of question. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you were the one who wanted to step up to the plate with a big swinging dick. And I'm asking claws, you to hit one out of the park or get the fuck right. back to the I'm urinal. Googling claws. Okay. Okay. Anyway. 
Anyways, uh, and Alfred's like, huh, I have great eyesight, and I saw some fucking things go back in there. That's weird, but I won't investigate. I'll, maybe I'll report it to Master Bruce later on. I'm very busy. I have unbelievable eyesight, and I saw something. <laughs> <laughs> Master Bruce is at home. I'll worry about him later. I have all these presents for whoever. I don't even know. We have no friends. Uh, so then from there, we go to we meet Max Shrek, of course, played by the one and only Christopher Walken. Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed as Batman? Because he is Batman, you moron. You know how uh, Walken line, though. You know how Walken looks like in this video. Walken looks, looks like, like this is this is a this is an obscure pool, but I think everybody here will get this except for Nick. When they are doing the Sweeney Todd play in the office, he looks yeah. like the guy playing Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I know what yeah, he with does. the hair with the wig. Okay. Yeah, he, he looks a, like a lot like his character in A View to a Kill, which is weird. <laughs> when he was the bad guy in that movie too, where he played Zorn. He also looks like the guy in Deer Hunter. Uh, Tim, what's your question? Max Shrek, Greg. Yeah. You got any DC lineage on this guy? I don't. Do you? Uh, not really. I looked him up. He's been in comics, but... but like, like, has he been in comics cool. before, or has he been in comics since now? Potentially since. I didn't get yeah. too much research done. I gave up. Didn't think well, it was that valuable. Well, but, well why'd you ask me the question? If you didn't well, I, thought, I thought you might have some <laughs> more, more insight. It's just, I think it's a, a point I want to bring up that is it, weird about these movies. That they have so much cool shit to pull from, but then... Vicky Bale's there. I'm Googling, but my original idea is I'm pretty sure he's the original character that since got brought into stuff. Wait. Well, I think he was supposed to be Two-Face. I think it was supposed to be Harvey Dent. No. No, yeah, okay. Max Shrek was introduced in the film. So, yeah, no, there you go. No, I think he was, they were, like, trying to make a, what's what's the, Moscone? No, that's here. There's, like, a character that's famous, like, Mafia Head, right? Marconi. Marconi. Oh, Marconi. Like they were just now here's one that I, did you guys cool. know this? I'm on the Batman fandom over here. Batman the animated series. Max Shrek appears in Batman the animated series, voiced by Christopher Walken, who was asked to reprise his role for the animated series. He was perfect. Oh wow, that's, that's awesome. awesome! I don't know if you read the trivia on this or not, but evidently that character was originally written as Harvey Dent, and they were Fal- It's Falcone. Sorry, my guy. <laughs> well, Falcone and, and uh, there's another very. Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, but I guess for some reason they just wanted to go in a different direction with it, and they and then Billy D. Williams was just like, "They're like you're done," because apparently this was going to be the movie where like um, at the end of it, when he gets like electrocuted or exploded or whatever, that's what turns him into Two Face. Oh. And then the third movie was supposed to be him as as, as Two Face because he was contracted for that, even though he has gone on record as being like they did like people were like, "Oh, they paid him out." He's like, "I didn't get paid. I had a one movie deal with them. I thought they were going to bring me back, but it ended up not, them not bringing me back." But that would have been. That would have been cool to see if, because he was supposed to do three movies. He was supposed to be Batman three. Yeah, that would have been I, weird if after eighty nine's Billy D and this movie, if he was this weird bad guy. As I mean, Harvey Dent, I don't know. I kind of feel like know. he looks a lot like a Raj Asghul. Raj Asghul. Raj Asghul. Yeah, I can't pronounce it. Don't they want to do Raj? 